Hey guys, this is Rich Bokini. You might remember me as Kevin Owens punching bag on SmackDown. You're listening to the whole rough and show, the only podcast that calls it right down the middle. And now, the wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle. The whole reffin show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the only wrestling podcast calls it right down the middle. The whole ref and show. My name is Perry Smith. And my name is Darren Beasley. And everyone, welcome to episode 72. 72, Darren. There's nothing. 72 has no significance whatsoever. No, I can't reference a song or make a joke or like think of an Adam Sandler bit or. Right. Well, I don't think I know anybody that's 72. I, yeah, it, it's it's nothing. I'm sure there are some hardcore football fans out there going, 72? That's Jonathan Whitmar! Oh, actually, it is. It's Jonathan Whitmar. It is a, I know. Hey, Jonathan Whitmire, 72. The 72nd episode in honor of Jonathan Whitmire, the fictional football player. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> welcome to it. And we got uh, quite a bit to discuss. Uh, WWE is uh, acquired... Uh, believe it or not, a lot of talent, and there's actually quite a few people coming into the fold right now. Some of them making their debut this past week on WWE television. Uh, also, the announcement of the Dudley Boys going into the Hoff, the WWE Hall of Fame Class of 2018. Not the Susanna Hoff. No, no, not at all. <laughs> well, it may, maybe that. Who knows? Maybe that as well. Uh, oh, poor, poor Susanna Hoff. And of course... Uh, and of course, uh, Darren and I went head to head, head to head, with our picks of who would be victorious over the weekend. Big weekend in Philadelphia, NXT Takeover Philadelphia, WWE Royal Rumble. We did pretty well. I'm pretty happy with our picks. One of us picked uh, the right person to win both Royal Rumbles. That's pretty incredible. Yeah, it's pretty good. We well, I mean the, the one who did this is pretty incredible. So it's it's no. <laughs> It is no surprise. He's also very humble. Not just incredible. No, no. Just incredible did not do that. Uh, he may have. He may have been sitting at home in his his uh, uh, studio apartment in uh, Philadelphia. I assume it's where he lives. And uh, said, you know what? I'm thinking these two are going over. Actually, you know what? I think he's, uh, I think he's in the accountability pad these days. Oh, is he? Uh, yeah, I know. I, there's a. I think there's a, a documentary forthcoming about a uh, road to recovery for him as well. Uh, oh wow! I, I didn't realize he was that like that bad off. I know he he got uh, very intoxicated at an indie show. Um, that's about as far as I heard. And I, I kind of like you know. I, I kind of just you know was like oh whatever to that because that's not a huge deal to me. He wasn't driving a car. You know he wasn't operating a monorail. So, <laughs> you get to drink at an at a indie show, it's fine. Yeah, I think that, uh, I, I could be wrong about this, but I'm, I'm pretty sure there was some sort of public incident involving, like, one of his children or something. And oh, that's no good. It just sort of, whatever it was, if it wasn't that, it was something like that, and it was bad enough to sort of uh, sober him up, at least long enough to decide that he needed to be sobered all the time. Oh, wow. And so I, I'm pretty sure he's working with DDP and trying to get his uh, get his act together, and good for him. Well, awesome. Well, best of luck, Justin Credible and the DDP crew. 
Um, that, I guess that was a headline before the headlines. Uh, so <laughs> before we get into those headlines, let's talk about them. Headlines. All right. Now the official headlines, because WWE has announced it's all over the interwebs and ESPN and whoever else covers wrestling sports. Uh, Dudley boys, they're going into the uh, hall of fame. That is super exciting to me. Probably, or, or arguably, the greatest tag team of all time. And uh, definitely one of the best, greatest, and most excellent top tag teams of all time. Right. And I, I'm not the only one who would say that. But I would happily say that. I've been a huge fan of the Dudley Boys since about 1997, 90, 97? Might have been the first time that I saw the Dudleys, and ever since then, I've been a huge fan. Well, we've had uh, many wrestlers on the show, uh, and also many uh, people in the wrestling world who have, who have you know, been in contact with Bubba Ray Dudley, Devon Dudley, uh, and they, they say nice things about them. Obviously, uh, if it's more of a teacher-student thing for some of the wrestlers we've had on, and you know they've, they've been students at the 3D Academy, it, it is more of a, a hard-ass teacher kind of a thing. Um, so I know a lot of respect for uh, the Dudleys beyond just what they see on TV, beyond just watching, oh, I remember them from them TLC matches, you know what I mean? Or like, you know, I remember them from the ECW days and all that stuff. It's pretty well, they're pretty well known to, you know, be very respected in the wrestling world, just kind of all around. I, I agree, and I hope the WWE does them at least a little bit better service than they did with this announcement. Because, like, with this announcement, it sort of sh it sort of starts off with, like, of course, Devon saying, oh, testify. And then you get a, a little tiny blurb from Paul Heyman, and then maybe, like, one shot from ECW, and then it immediately cuts to Edge. And he's like, those, those TLC matches, yeah. those TLC matches, and they're like, Hall of Fame, ba-ba-ba-ba, and it's like, I really hope this Hall of Fame induction is not just, let's talk about the TLC matches because, again, I don't expect them to talk about, you know, Team 3D. I don't expect them to talk about their IWGP title run. But they own every second of ECW's existence. Please give us some ECW Dudley stuff. And, hey, I'm not looking for a Hall of Fame induction for Dances with Dudleys. <laughs> you know, uh, but I need some acknowledgement of uh, the breadth of their career. Because to me, that's what makes the Dudleys uh, a shoe-in here for a Hall of Fame induction. is not just that they did these TLC matches, which of course I don't mean to discredit those. But those, to me, are just such a small part of their truly uh, outstanding uh, like body of work, which is a hall, which is Hall of Fame worthy. I was ever, I was ever really a huge fan of the TLC matches. Like I thought they were fine, like because at the time I really enjoyed the Dudleys, and it seemed like they never even won the TLC matches. Uh, and I was not a fan of Edge and Christian. I was not a fan of the Hardy Boys at that time. So it was always kind of like, yeah, like one third of this. Um, and then it's like, oh no, see how extreme we can be also, you know what I mean? And I, I never liked that. Um, but people act like TLC matches are too hardcore wrestling 
what the best out of seven matches were with Benoit and uh, Booker T uh, in wrestling. And, and that's just not the case for me. Not at all. I, no, I understand that. I, I don't, I, I think I give the TLC matches exact. Personally, I believe that I give them exactly the credit that they deserve, which is, did they, are they the end all be all of mat of, of wrestling matches? No. Uh, were they in their own way revolutionary? Yeah, I do think they were. I mean, they were not by any means the most hardcore. They were certainly not the first, you know, ladder match ever. But they were a ladder match unlike the WWE had ever put on. And there was that extra element of danger because all of a sudden there's six people in a ladder match. And there's more than one ladder. And because at least one dummy named Jeff Hardy is willing to jump off of one that's 20 feet tall. Right. I mean, geez. So they were groundbreaking in their own way. Um, I give them a lot of credit, but are they the greatest matches ever? No. Are they the greatest? They're definitely not the great. They might be, they might be the greatest matches that edge and Christian were ever involved in. Um, I believe that the Hardys have probably had better matches. I know Jeff Hardy has had better matches. Uh, and the Dudleys, especially in terms of tag team matches, had many, many, many more matches that were just as incredible, if not more. You know, that's why, again, they're Hall of Fame guys. To me, it shows you the difference between Paul Heyman and, and Vince McMahon right there because, I mean, this is, a, this is basically just a hardcore match. That involves uh, a table, ladder, and a chair. But no, McMahon used his brain and said, I'll brand this, and I'll brand it tables, ladders, and chairs. And that kind of became its own thing. There's a pay-per-view named after it now. Um, so that, that, that there's that. But uh, as far as Dudley's going into the Hall of Fame, that's a no-brainer. I, I don't like that it's Goldberg and the Dudleys, because it's starting to make me feel old. And it's like, okay, yes. now, now we're getting into the people that... I feel like they weren't wrestling for that long, but uh, oh, you're, should, shouldn't, you're shouldn't, shouldn't Bobo Brazil go in or uh, Ernie Big Cat yeah. Flat? Or... Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, I thought it was still time for George Hackenschmidt. <laughs> He'll get his day. Um, no, but I, I totally, I'm with you. I thought the same thing when I saw the graphic of the three of them in right. front of the Hall of Fame logo. I was like, Yeesh, because you know, you and I have talked on the show before about uh, like Eddie Guerrero and Edge going in, you know, to quote myself, too early, you know, and it was really just because of an untimely death and an untimely early retirement. Um, both of those men probably have, and, and, and I completely agree, have Hall of Fame worthy careers, but to uh, like hot shot them to a Hall of Fame induction uh, just doesn't make sense because they were, it was just like, no, they were still in the middle of their career, so we need to let time pass. Right. But that's precisely what's happened here with the Dudleys and Goldberg. It actually has been long enough, and that does totally make me feel old, just like you said, uh, because it's not out of the question. It's just, yeah, it's time to put Goldberg in. Yeah, you know, like his great moment, his his crowning achievement is now twenty years ago. Ah, yeah. So you know, all of a sudden going in again, it's 
No big surprise. However, I will be surprised if anyone who is not Paul Heyman inducts them in. So we shall see. Um, yeah, I saw some a lot of a lot of tweets going around saying that only Joel Gertner could induct the Dudley Boys. <laughs> yeah. And I'll believe that when I see it, but boy, wouldn't that be cool. That'd be very cool. Um, also, I'm sure, like, it, it, to me, it's between Tommy Dreamer and Paul Heyman, but I think Paul Heyman would definitely get the honor. So, anywho. Yeah, exciting either way. You know, you, you mentioned that the Dudley's announcement came on ESPN. Uh, speaking of ESPN, Jonathan Coachman, I guess, making the leap Back to the WWE from ESPN. I did you know this might happen? No, I mean, he was at the uh, anniversary show, and then all of a sudden he's sitting at the just, table. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like I thought, I really, really thought that you know that Coach was you know gone, baby, gone. Like I, I thought he was a lifer over at ESPN, um, and then. You know, him showing up on Raw 25 was no surprise whatsoever because the dude is seems to be really thick with the company, and that's cool. I know he has done a lot to facilitate ESPN's uh, interaction with WWE over the last three, three and a half years, but did not expect to see him return. And, and he's back. I mean, like, that's that's not a one-time deal or a short-term deal. No. From everything I understand, from what they said on the air and what I've uh, come to understand, that that's, that's, that's what he's there for. That, you know, sorry, Booker, and I guess double sorry, David Otunga, but <laughs> dear Jonathan Coachman! Yeah, um, yeah, I mean, like you just said, he was there on this past Raw, and... Uh, <laughs> The the announcer banter or the commentator banter was a lot more precise and civilized. Coachman brings a lot to the table as far as like like analysis and definitely like seeing it from a different point of view. And I love that he he actually and and then this is rare. You don't really get this very often in commentary, but there's continuity with his commentary. Like he's like uh, several times like I I haven't been around for a while. What's wrong with Matt Hardy? Like, <laughs> like stuff like yes. that, you know? And it, it was great. It was really cool. And he's like, I've never actually seen Braun Strowman in person destroy things, but now I have, and it's, you know, I, I liked it. There's definitely a bit a bit of that that no one else could have really pulled off because, you know, they weren't around for such a long time and aren't as recognizable. It's not like, you know, someone who worked the house shows at NXT, moved on to NXT commentary, 205 Live commentary, and then moved on to the big shows like, you know, Todd Phillips. Um, it's someone who's like, okay, I remember 20 years ago when we used to do this and now we do it this way. So I, I, I like that a lot. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I, I say welcome back, Jonathan Coachman. I welcome back. <laughs> I hate that we won't see Booker T or hear Booker T. Well, he might, uh, he might show up. Never say you won't hear from Booker T. Uh, you might hear him on this show. It's possible. It's possible. That That's crazy enough. But... <laughs> Jonathan Coachman is not the only one to put his John Hancock on a piece of stationery from Stamford. No. Jeremy Borash? Jeremy Borash, dear listeners, has signed a WWE contract. I color me stupefied. This 
Of course, Jeremy Borash would probably have wanted to go to WWE. Uh, who? I don't know. Not to discredit Jeremy Borash, but who pitched this? Who in the <laughs> WWE said, please hire my good friend Jeremy Borash? Because I just don't see Vince or Triple H going, you know what we need? We need somebody who is synonymous with TNA and somebody who worked in the dog days of WCW. That's who we need. Is he young? No, he's not young at all. Is he fresh? Not at all. Let's sign him. You know, that just doesn't seem like a Vince move. And uh, I think Jeremy Borash is great. I hope that he actually uh, has a backstage and an on-screen role. Apparently the role, the, the, the word is it's uh, he's NXT bound. And I think that's perfect. Put him in there as a coach. I mean, you're talking about the guy that, you know, Matt Hardy himself gives at least 50% credit to the whole broken universe to Jeremy Borash. Oh, wow. Surprised they don't uh, put him in the hands of uh, Jeremy Borash, the, the Hardys, and say, you guys go figure that out. And, you know, they they may yet. But uh, apparently the, the first destination for Jeremy Borash is the Performance Center in Orlando, Florida, which he probably lives in Orlando already now that I think about it. Well, he has to learn and, how to book a you know, wrestling show, and he has to learn about working at a wrestling show because he hasn't done it before. So <laughs> That's true. Right. I really hope that the fact that they're reporting that he's NXT bound means that he's going in to be a big part of teaching and not a big part of learning because, yeah, after a 20-plus year career, in pro wrestling, I'm pretty sure he has a lot more to teach than learn. Right. And uh, so we'll see. Uh, and uh, I don't know, what do you do with Jeremy Borash on screen in NXT? I don't know. I don't think that, I don't think they need to change their announcers. I think the announcing situation on NXT is great. I don't love Percy Watson, but but he's okay, and I do love Mauro and Nigel McGuinness. So NXT uh, Takeover Philadelphia commentary was a little, a little rough, a little rough. Uh, no, no Nigel McGuinness. No Nigel McGuinness was not there. Um, <laughs> I love being here in ROH. ROH, yeah. everybody. Um, well, at least there was no mistaking that we were at ROH that night. Right. The thing is, you barely ever hear Percy at all. Um, you realize that when you listen to NXT uh, commentary because Percy chimes in every now and again. It's like, oh, yeah, Percy. Because um, he just so rarely speaks up. I guess because Morrow is just, oh, I'll do this and Mamma Mia. You know, just <laughs> constantly going. Well, I will say for the first time ever, and I still love Morrow. I love him to pieces. I want him right where he is. But Uh-oh. for the first time ever, there were a couple of moments during the TakeOver broadcast where I at least saw or heard some things that the, the type of the type of things that people complain about with Mara Ranallo, I at least sort of went, Oh, there you are, Peter. <laughs> you like, you uh, felt his face and then you decided felt, that you saw him. There you go. Okay. And by the way, so, that, that that's a hook reference for those who don't understand that one. <laughs> but uh, you know, Jeremy Borash Welcome to WWE. Hope you survived the experience. <laughs> but he's not alone, Darren. There is someone else who actually 
showed up on 205 Live as the new GM, the new general manager, formerly known as Rockstar Spud, now known as Drake Maverick. Drake Maverick. Okay. Drake Maverick. Drake meaning dragon, and Maverick meaning, like, wild card. So, I mean, I don't know. Drake Maverick is a bit indie wrestling to me. It's a bit too indie wrestling of a name. I understand, again, though, why you don't stick with Rockstar Spud. I, I get it. Um, uh, but again, that guy is also very, very identifiable as Rockstar Spud. So we'll just have to see what Drake Maverick really means. Because right now, he's working like used car salesman. Right. Well, we'll you know, not to, not to reference Hook again, but... <laughs> WWE has a way of, even though you recognize someone as a certain name for a long time, they change the name, and sure, surely enough, after a few, you know, they fucking change the name of the organization, for God's sake, and I now say WWE without thinking twice. Um, but, I mean, people people change, like I said, like maybe last episode about Elias, like, I forgot what Elias' last name was, because I, I just haven't used it in so long. Like, you, you yeah. tend to kind of just... Kind of like, you know, you, you cut that out of your memory. It's like, I don't need that anymore. And you throw it away. But, I mean, yeah, his his name will be Drake Maverick. And it's gonna he, everyone's going to know him as that. And then, like, oh, yeah, Rockstar Spud, that whole thing. So, I, I, Yeah, I agree. And I'm, I'm fine with the name change. Like, especially if he's going to be uh, general manager. Like, why would your authoritarian figure be named Rockstar Spud? <laughs> I don't even know what that is. I've never known what that is, but whatever. It is what it is. Right. But if he's going to be in this sort of executive role, even if it's just on tele, even just a character, Drake Maverick definitely works better in that capacity. But he's still totally Rockstar Spud. The crowd, of course, is going, Rockstar Spud! Rockstar Spud! And uh, was it Nigel McGuinness who acknowledged, said, formerly known as Rockstar Spud, did he say All that? Really? Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. They acknowledged that he, you know, until tonight he was Rockstar Spud. So that was interesting. My favorite part was that, like, like I said, he is sort of working that used car salesman gimmick, and uh, it works because of his ridiculous tan, his tiny stature, and his tailor-made, uh, I don't know, teal green suit. I. I loved seeing him run around backstage and be like an active GM uh, wanting to not sarcastically or self-servingly, but in the interest of creating a better product, uh, even if it's, you know, a gimmick and a shtick, the, the fact that he as the GM is pushing for the betterment of 205 Live as a program and as a brand and as a weight division, that's cool. Because that way he can be a big, big, big mouthpiece. Because now without Enzo Amore, 205 Live needs a mouthpiece of any kind. And right. I think that Drake Maverick can provide that. I think it'll take more than Drake Maverick, a.k.a. Rockstar Spud, to help, you know, to bring 205 Live to whatever it is they need it to be. Um, but uh, it, it's, a, it's a step in the right direction, I suppose. No, it is. It is. And, and the last thing I'll say about that is I like this choice. I don't hate it by any means. But, you know, I was starting to hope that 
uh, well, hope for 24 hours anyway, that after a certain uh, mysterious king uh, made a surprise return, that that might have been the new GM for 205 Live. There were a few uh, surprises, a few, uh, not even a few. There were a lot of surprise guests, a lot of returns, uh, a lot of uh, debuts over the weekend. Very busy weekend in the world of wrestling. And Darren and I, of course, we had conflicting opinions over who would be winning this or that title or this or that Royal Rumble. So, without further ado, let's get into it, man. The results from our head-to-head. Head-to-head. Dear listeners of the Whole Reffin Show, we hope that you were watching, we were definitely watching, on Saturday night the 27th of January, 2018, as NXT brought you TakeOver Philadelphia from the Wells Fargo Center in the city of brotherly love in Pennsylvania. And this was a pretty, uh, pretty, uh, pretty uh, bitchin' card, wouldn't you say, Perry? It was, it was pretty good, pretty good. There were, there were five matches that were announced for, uh, the body of the show, five matches that we made predictions for, and five matches that they gave us. And uh, we almost actually ordered them correctly as well. And uh, I was greatly entertained by all of these matches, and uh, it was a good start to our weekend in terms of our picks. Um, like Our picks weren't that different, but with some varied results, uh, we did not finish the same. I say let's jump right into the card, right? Yeah, man. Jump right into it. Well, for the opening match of the evening, we got a tag team title match for those precious, coveted NXT Tag Team Championships. As the undisputed era, the title holders, the team of Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly, took on the challengers of Authors of Pain. Akam and Razor with their manager, Paul Ellering. Now, I will say that the Authors of Pain look way better with the black version of those weird Ninja Turtle helmet mask things. They're all, they're just solid black now, so they appear much more like some sort of odd tactical armor or something as opposed to a Ninja Turtle Halloween costume. <laughs> I don't know why they want these guys to be associated with Ninja Turtles so much. Beyond legit, they legit <laughs> called them Toka and Razar in the very, very beginning. Uh, before they were, it was clarified that it was Akum and Razar. Um, and then the Ninja Turtle masks, which are now uh, just recently changed. So who knows next? They, one might have nunchucks. The other one might come out with uh, katana blades. <laughs> <laughs> they come out eating pizza. Um, uh, well, as long as Paul Ellering does not shapeshift into a giant rat, I think we'll be okay. <laughs> I want to see him in like the full yellow bodysuit with the the white boots and the the, the news yes. camera. And, that'd be great. Precious Paul O'Neill. <laughs> <laughs> I could see that. Oh man, that's that's good stuff. But I do think that they looked better. Um, they obviously they dress them up for takeover. Everybody gets a little bit extra. A little bit extra entrance, a little bit extra ring gear, something a little different, something like, you know, in the spirit of your WrestleMania whites, uh, we get a little bit of something here. And uh, this little bit of something was much more spot on. I, I was 
I, I would say that on this night. And as far as Ellering goes, I really do like that he is with them. I, I'm starting to finally feel like it belongs. It doesn't seem forced. He, especially on this night, Paul Ellering looked way more into it than he ever has before. Like he was really proud, you know, hashtag if wrestling were real, proud that this is a team that he put together and that he, you know, quote unquote manages. I'm just surprised he stuck around this long. I thought for sure he'd be there for like year one. And it's like, oh, they lost. I'm leaving now. I don't know what this impression is, but... I don't either, but, uh, yeah. I thought he might have some more destruction to proculate, uh, but you never can tell. You never can tell. I, I would say the best spot of this match was Bobby Fish tackling Razor through the ropes. Oh, yeah, yeah. To the, to the floor, yeah. outside the ring. That was a gnarly move. Like, that... I don't know what that is. That was some, like... That was old-school ECW. Like... That's not ROH. That's not New Japan. That's not old WWF. That's just straight up ECW. That sort of devil may care. Like I was, I was impressed. Yeah, that was a really cool move. I mean, this 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 match is loaded with really cool wrestling maneuvers. You know, I'm not happy because immediately Akam is working a knee injury. It's like, oh, here we go. Here you know, we go. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, they, and they really did it. They they worked the injured body part, and then the you know the working the body part. Uh, but I will say that for an old school match that sort of built around working a body part, it was very fast paced. Yeah. Like, you know, I know you don't like that. I know you really don't like the uh, faking the injury early and then through the whole thing. But I will say it didn't. Usually when that happens, the match gets slowed way down. Not at all. Not at all in this match. It was fast-paced from from start to finish. So that was cool. What well, is takeover? It's only two hours to get everything done, so you can't really have like a, a sleeper hold match. Um, so <laughs> No, for sure, for sure. And let me just add that the authors of Pain, you know, they had some moments. They really had some moments in this match, and they've had a few moments in their career so far in NXT. But they really need so, so much more seasoning so that they could be, like, fully realized, you know, like a fully realized version of their gimmick before they get to the main roster. Because right now they're kind of paper thin. Um, so they, they really need some, like, intense coaching, I feel like. And uh, definitely more seasoning, even if that just means more time. Right. But the idea that they're on their way out, back up, like the, the idea that they're going to the main roster, I mean, when you have teams that are pretty damn good, like, you know, what supposedly are the greatest in NXT champions ever, the Ascension, they don't even wrestle anymore. And Brizongo, two extremely talented singles wrestlers and pretty damn entertaining as a tag team, they don't wrestle. So why are you going to put Authors of Pain, who I would immediately put as the third best out of Brizongo, Ascension, and Authors of Pain, you bring them up because in your mind they're the hot new thing. I think they're dead in the water if they come up to the roster any time before Mania. Right. Well, I mean, people actually like them. People actually were cheering for them at, uh, at TakeOver, which is surprising because everyone loves Fish and O'Reilly so much. 
Um, I mean, just the fact that they're big guys, they'll, they'll, they'll fit on the roster. You don't Their matches with DIY and Revival and even Undisputed Era here prove that they don't have to be very good. They just have to be big and let the very good wrestlers do all the all the impressive stuff while they kind of just, oh, but a big power bomb stops them, you know what I mean? Uh, and that's kind of what it comes <laughs> down to is they go into the, uh, they set up the Super Collider, which is basically twin power bombs. Um, but uh, Fish gets power bomb, but O'Reilly actually Huracan is out of it and rolls up Akum for a surprise victory. Well, not a surprise to us. We had a feeling Undisputed Era was going to hold on to these tag belts. So yeah, not surprising actually because we had a good feeling they were going to hold on to the belts, uh, and they do. So Office of Pain uh, do not get the belts. Undisputed Era retains the NXT Tag Team Titles. And you and I are off to a good start because we did both pick the Undisputed Era. Hey, we're the best. Artist formerly known as Red Dragon. You know, speaking of uh, their time as Red Dragon in New Japan, we also get another team which has become highly popular in New Japan. And we know, we talked about that they signed with NXT on this program in the past couple of weeks. But we get our first glimpse of War Machine in motion in an NXT setting. Ray Rowe and Hanson in the crowd here in Philadelphia. And uh, that was so cool. You know, that was just neat. Yeah, I mean, it was cool. It was also kind of like, what are you doing on NXT television? It was so weird. But yeah, it was still so very, very interesting to see what happens. I mean, right, we just saw them at Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah. It was sort of like seeing Jericho on the 25th anniversary of Raw. I was like, hey. (laughs) You can't do both. I mean, and, and that's super exciting for me. I, You know, I think our listeners know well enough that I love the surprise. As far as wrestling goes, I live for the surprise. I think I, back when Jeff Jarrett, before, you know, things went south with GFW and Anthem, there was, you know, all this talk of Jeff Jarrett bouncing around different places. And he was always my example of, of the last great, surprise comeback you know now we're getting to see all different sorts of cool surprises like war machine showing up on nxt but jeff jarrett was always my example of just just have him come out on raw i know he doesn't want to be there and i know vince doesn't want him to be there but i want to be there you know just because just because it's a surprise i'll be sick of him in the third week he's there but i want to see a surprise this week i understand i understand and so NXT's given us a lot of that, and that, and that's fun. But on to the second match. We've got Velveteen Dream versus Cassius Ono in a grudge match. But what I love about this match is even though, you know, there's the whole winning in under 30 seconds, they're both wearing boxing gear. They're, you know, all sorts of send-up to Rocky there in Philadelphia. And yet... They still just left it alone as a wrestling match because, you know, I feel like in a different place, a different time, this would have been some lame boxing match. They'd have turned it into an actual boxing match and it would have sucked. But because they let it be sort of, you know, have a boxing complexion, but still be a wrestling match, that's exactly the way to go. Right. You know, the boxing match is a novelty and wrestling thrives on novelty, but not when it can't work. And boxing just doesn't work in wrestling. It doesn't. You know, see the brawl for all. <laughs> but Velveteen Dream 
loved his boxing shorts, and I really dug Cassiusono's, um, you know, hooded robe. Um, so that's cool, you know. Um, the whole 30 seconds thing, of course, centers around the fact that Velveteen Dream said that he would knock out Cassiusono in less than 30 seconds. And, um, you know, it, it was neat. It was neat to see the, the whole ritual of Velveteen Dream having his mouthpiece on a pillow uh, held at ring, held uh, by a dude at ringside. Um, you know, it was, it was cool. It added a, a another layer to the match, the whole the first thirty seconds of the match, and and uh, Velveteen does knock down uh, Cassius Ono, and and people were, people thought that was it. He might not actually get up, but uh, he gets up, and you basically have your uh, your wrestling match. So you know Velveteen does do what he said he's going to do, which is basically knock him down, and just shy of a knockout, but still. Um, so that all happens, and once you're past that, it becomes the wrestling match, and it's a really good wrestling match. And man, the fans are, the fans love them some Velveteen Dream. I did not think he'd be that over, um, but uh, absolutely, yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I think that I think the reason people like him is because there's a story there. There's something else to to grasp. There's something else to grab a hold to instead of just. Here comes a good wrestling match, and they are good wrestling matches. But if you think about it, the whole thing with Aleister Black was, say my name. Say my name. And now this thing with Cassius Ono is, oh, you're a knockout artist? No, I'm a knockout artist. Right. I'll beat you in under 30 seconds. Like, and that, that's such easy writing. It doesn't have to change the character's direction for the next year. It, you know, it changes it for this one program, and that's it. It it causes instant greater investment from the viewer because there's an element that they can focus on besides just just another wrestling match, just like all the rest. Yeah, I, I think uh, the cool thing about it is it kind of harkens back to the old days where it's not about a wrestler beating a wrestler. It's about a character beating a character. Like, you know, Mr. Perfect not like a narcissist because he says it's beyond perfection. Um, it's like th that kind of thing. You know, just just that little bit extra. We're going to wrestle each other and one of us has to win because we're wrestlers. You know, and ultimately, that's what we do. But if these two characters are conflicting because of these reasons, these very, very simple, very, you know, benign reasons, <laughs> uh, it, it makes it that much more interesting for two characters to wrestle instead of just two wrestlers wrestling. I agree. I, I couldn't agree more. And uh, that's what we had here. And, you know, it's not an outstanding match. It's not. But it is a solid match. That was a great finish for Velveteen Dream, hitting that cartwheel Death Valley driver. Oh, the rolling DVD. Love it. Yeah, yeah. And, and then, the you know, his, his version of the big elbow drop like Macho Man, which he calls the Purple Rainmaker, which... Be careful, <laughs> Okada. Yeah. One day we might get purple Rainmaker versus regular type Rainmaker. Right. Uh, but on this night, that cartwheel DVD and then the purple Rainmaker is enough to get Velveteen Dream the win over KO Cassius Ono. And good for Dream. Good for Dream. Career is looking up. And like I said, if they're investing that much thought, uh, they obviously care. Or, if he's coming up with that much material, even better. 
And next up, the women's championship, the women's title of NXT on the line as the champion, Ember Moon, takes on former MMA standout and finalist in the Mae Young Classic, Shayna Baszler. Shayna Baszler has been wreaking havoc in NXT for weeks now, from Orlando to Atlanta. She's been kicking girls' elbows all winky-wonky and choking people out, choking out that uh, that that girl, the, choking out that one girl uh, on uh, at the Performance Center. They kept showing that clip. And, you know, this is a girl who's training hard at the Performance Center. I believe she's in the ring with you know, other NXT uh, women. And, you know, this is the girl that, that has uh, brought the magnetic wand uh, around my head and belt many times attending NXT shows. And so even though she's getting <laughs> choked out by Shayna Baszler, hey, she's making it on the TV, so good for her. Hey, she did it. But here in Philadelphia on this night, Baszler and Ember Moon are going at it, and Baszler dominates the start of this match. She does that same stomp to the elbow uh, that she injured Dakota Kai by doing, and she is really really good at healing it up yeah her, her own body language and then like her moves in the ring crazy whereas i was not a huge fan of the oh work in the knee injury in the, the tag match earlier this match worked really really well um because shanna baszler is going to do what she does best which is the mma you know trying to submit you trying to weaken your your body parts and ember moon's gonna just wrestle because she's a wrestler man um, so yeah, so Baszler working Ember Moon's arm the whole time makes sense, um, and it's it's actually done pretty pretty well. I, I I thought for for sure this this match wouldn't really work, but it, their their contrasting methods actually worked very very well. Yeah, I agree. It it, it, it I could have been a cluster, but instead it seemed to be like what would happen in a real fight, especially the way it ends. Well, before we get to the end, I do want to mention the, the uh, Ember Moon actually pulling off her finishing move, the Eclipse. Um, but because her, you know, her elbow is so injured, um, it, it doesn't really allow her to to achieve victory. Instead, they tease like a medical stoppage uh, for for the reason being, you know, the elbow pain for Ember Moon. But eventually, the match does continue. Baszler puts on an arm bar, and finally there's a rope break back into the arm bar. And if I had any criticism of this match, it's that the last time she had her in the arm bar, it was too long to be realistic. Right. Now, I was saying the same thing. I was like, I feel like her opponents tap out much faster than that in MMA. But exactly, exactly. No, I, I had that thought as well. Um, <laughs> and you, you know she was thinking it too, like... She should have been dead seven times over now. Um, but I, I do love the finish, though. It is as much as like as the armbar is on maybe a little too long because it is that move that has like legit broken arms and like made people like have to quit. Right. Um, uh, it, it ends very well because basically Baszler's sticking to the armbar, but Ember Moon kind of realizes that she's in position to be rolled up and rolls her right up and pins her. And I thought that was perfect. Like I said. The contrast in styles, Baszler only wants to make her tap out because she has that mindset. Ember Moon only wants to just pin her because that's her mindset. And ultimately, 
what Baszler lacks in a wrestling capacity comes through here because you know you're you're an Ember Moon's element as far as wrestling goes in that match. So excellent finish, yep. And so Ember Moon wins, and much like the match before it and the first match, we chose correctly. Yay! Because we backed the undisputed era, we backed the Velveteen Dream, and we backed Ember Moon, and we're right. However, Ember Moon did not get to enjoy her victory for long. After the match, Baszler attacks her and chokes her out. Right. So she keeps her heat. She's still got that, that bully heat. It's good. Right. Yeah. We, I mean, everybody's leaving hot with so much heat. Right. So much heat. She, she, throws, up the, uh, she throws up the fours, too. The, the four horsewomen four. Notice that? Yeah. Yes, I did. That happened, too. So... Uh, after that match, though, we do get to see someone else in the audience. Yes? Yeah, we get to see Trevor Mann. Who is Trevor Mann? Trevor Mann? I know him as uh, Ricochet. Oh. I know him as Prince Puma. You might know him as uh, as Trevor Mann. I don't know. Maybe you went to school with him. I don't know. Maybe Trevor Mann's, like, you know, buddy. Could be, could could very well be. I, I will be honest with you. Every time I hear Ricochet's name, I think about the uh, the Denzel Washington movie with John Lithgow. Ricochet, anyone? Okay, anyone? Okay. No, yeah, sure, somebody, somebody. somebody. Kevin Pollock's in there, man. You can't you can't doubt that. I I want I, 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 I once. I, is a listener of the show. That's for sure. Yeah, I once went to see Ghostbusters when it came back to theaters with Kevin Pollock and some friends. That's a true story. Uh, but <laughs> Ricochet is in town, and uh, hopefully get to see him on screen pretty pretty soon. Hopefully they don't do him like they did Leo Rush. Uh, poor Leo Rush hasn't quite, uh, or he's had quite a few false starts, we'll say, as far as uh, making a name for himself in NXT. Uh, well, but- as, long as, uh, as long as Ricochet doesn't go on Twitter and start crapping down the throat of some uh, woman wrestler from Raw. Yeah. Yeah, if, as long as Ricochet doesn't say anything stupid on Twitter, he should be okay. Um, but two men who are not okay after an extremely violent match, a Extreme Rules match, Alistair Black taking on Adam Cole, no belts on the line, just the right to say I beat you. And uh, you got your match that you wanted, Darren. W- were you happy with it? I was happy with it. I was very happy with it. Uh, I was not happy at first because for the longest time there wasn't really anything at all very extreme about this match. <laughs> there was a tiny bit of chair use, right? But as you know, that's nothing unless you're going to take it to the head. <laughs> I'm not encouraging them to go back to that, but I can't help but say when you have spent most of your life seeing that, and now you don't. You know, it leaves a little bit to be desired. I understand. So we get a little bit of chair use, a little bit of the Singapore cane or kendo stick, whatever you want to call it. But other than that, nothing is really extreme. Yeah, that, uh, that's obviously they're having the extreme rules match because they're in Philadelphia. It's an ode to ECW, and that's fine. But man, I wish this were just a straight up wrestling match. I wish it were just a wrestling match. Oh, I agree. I mean, it could even have been just a wrestling match and still had one or two of these extreme spots, but without all the... Like, I don't know. I, I personally think that like the kendo stick has always been my least favorite item 
in a match that has been pre-agreed upon to be quote-unquote hardcore or extreme rules. Because it's like, no, I can dig the kendo stick when it's a character's gimmick. But like just, hey, we just put these kendo sticks under the ring. Ha-ha. You know, that's <laughs> right, just, right. I don't like that. We it's always weird, have right? backup kendo sticks under the ring. You wrestlers know that. Right. Right, right. Well, at one point, Adam Cole sets up a table at ringside. And this is what I mean when it's like, it doesn't have to be an extreme rules match and you could have still done this, you know? Uh, so a, a couple of minutes later, Black sets up another table next to the one that Adam Cole set up and grabs a ladder. But Cole drop kicks the ladder into Black. And uh, you know, that's a pretty neat spot. I like these guys are two machines and they're built very similarly. They're roughly the same size, but they could not possibly look more different right. or wrestle really or wrestle more differently. Uh, at one point, Alistair Black has Adam Cole up in the electric chair and then he throws Cole ass first onto a ladder that's propped up in the corner. And that looked incredibly painful. <laughs> Uh, the crowd, uh, like, because after that happens, um, they keep fighting, keep fighting. All of a sudden, Adam Cole is bloody, or at least his hand is bloody. And as medical like personnel come out to tend to Cole's bloody hand, the crowd is booing like crazy. Like, you know, I'm surprised we didn't hear a chant of, let him bleed, let him bleed. Right. Because that is definitely what I you know, could read between the lines of all the, the chorus of booze. As we get nearer to the end of the match, though, I found myself thinking, you know, this really is some good, unconventional WWE-style wrestling. You know, not, not so hardcore that it harkened back to ECW or anything like that. I can't even tell you what to compare it to. Just not WWE-style. And I guess it's because both of these guys are well-seasoned veterans who spent their career anywhere and everywhere except WWE. So it's nice to see this odd type of wrestling. It was just, just different, just truly different. Yeah, um, this match could have just been no DQ, and they just pull a bunch of random shit out to hit each other with, and because that to me that's fine. Um, because, uh, of course, Undisputed Era, Fish and O'Reilly, they get involved in the match as well, and they attack Aleister Black. Uh, Sanity actually comes to the aid of Aleister Black. Not so much the aid of Aleister Black, but just going like, you know what, let's get out there and, and get some licks in too, because we hate the Undisputed Era so much. So, they help out Aleister Black, you know, whether that was intentional or not, obviously. Uh, and eventually Sanity kind of drives Fish and O'Reilly to the back, uh, but the damage has been done, and and Alistair Black is kind of just laying lifeless up on the up on the um, the the guardrail or audience barrier, whatever you want to call that. And Adam Cole decides he's going to try to put uh, <laughs> Alistair Black through the table. But as you set the table up, Alistair kind of comes to, and Alistair nails the double knees on Adam Cole, and he get he goes to the announcer table, which was wicked. I've never seen like that happen on the announce table before, where someone's basically standing up, you know, not on the announcer table, and goes through the announcer table. That, that was pretty awesome looking. And uh, Alistair Black tries to capitalize that on immediately and gets him into the ring. Adam Cole uh, still not quite out of it yet, uh, but uh, in the end, Alistair Black hits Black Mass and pins Adam Cole. 
Very surprised that Adam Cole lost this match. You and I both thought that, well, Undisputed Era is going to get involved, which did happen. Uh, Extreme Rules would be a big deal here. Um, but in the end, Aleister Black just beats Adam Cole. And, you know, I think that's okay. I just like to see this match. I just like to see this match. Um, it's, you know, I don't know. I, 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 I couldn't pick who I wanted to win before. So I can't say that I'm unhappy now. Right. You know, uh, we both, I'm unhappy that it sucked for the head-to-head. Head-to-head. But, you know, it did. It's the, and I'll go ahead and spoil spoiler alert, I picked the main event right. So <laughs> uh, this is the only match that I got wrong on this night was this when I picked Adam Cole. We both picked Adam Cole, so we were unfortunately both wrong here. Before we get to our main event for the NXT title, we got to talk about EC3 uh, showing up in the audience, Darren. That's right. The audience was mostly new wrestlers. I don't think they made any money <laughs> off of TakeOver. <laughs> I think that there were 16,479 new signees to the Performance Center. At this rate, yeah, man. Uh, yeah, Triple H has decided no one in the world who is a wrestler, can be under contract to anyone except WWE. Not even just wrestlers. Uh, shot putters, uh, people play backgammon, mahjong players. <laughs> I it, love how we always go back to the backgammon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Of course. Um, but anyway, cool to see EC3 in the audience. I guess he's gonna he's NXT bound, because there he was. And... Uh, that or he's backgammon bound. He's backgammon bound. That's Maybe a win-win. That's a win-win either way. He might be tiddlywinks bound. He might be tiddlywinks bound. What is tiddlywinks? Uh, isn't that word? No, that, that that's pickup sticks. I, I don't I don't know. I don't know. I'm gonna have to Google tiddlywinks when we get off the air. I'm just gonna have to. I'm we gonna have, have to. Several listeners screaming at their radio right now, going tiddlywinks is this, you idiot! Um, oh, my my grandfather invented tiddlywinks. <laughs> my grandfather, Grampy Tiddlywinks. Yeah. His name is Tiddlywinks. My middle name is Tiddlywinks. Yeah. <laughs> However, I was not named after my grandfather. Um, President Tiddlywinks to you. It's very, it's very complicated. Um, but yes, we now have a main event. It is for the NXT title. Andrade Cien Almas, who has a very cool entrance, by the way. I forget that, like, oh yeah, they, they get they get a little more when they uh, with their champ, huh? Yeah, the dude had on uh, all new gear. Uh, he, he he blew his load early. He's got his WrestleMania whites on uh, for Rumble weekend, but <laughs> also the matching white La Sombra mask. Yeah, man, you are getting an open acknowledgement that hi, I am Andrade Almas. I used to be La Sombra. Yeah, that was cool. Then a whole mariachi band all wearing black luchador masks. Oh my God, that was so cool. Because that is a touch that is completely unnecessary, and yet it made all the difference for the better. I thought it was cool. They had just been a regular mariachi band, it would have been like, oh, that's awesome. But the the presence of the the uh, the luchador masks on all of them was incredible. Added just a little bit more to it, which I appreciated. Uh, Johnny it's Gargano, a little different. It's a little different. Johnny Gargano, uh, more or less, just coming out as himself. 
Uh, he's got some family ringside, including Candice LeRae, uh, who also recently signed with uh, NXT, WWE. So it's cool that she's around. Uh, she's sitting ringside with uh, some of Johnny's fam. It's a big moment for Johnny Gargano because he could win it all here in this match. And uh, he should win it all because, to me, you're, you're, you're having the Rocky story happen in Philadelphia. So I thought, why would you not? You know, why would you, why would you not let Rocky win? Um, but let's see what happens. Well, one thing I liked about the entrances, of course, and we complain about this a lot on the show, is Andrade comes out first. And I do not like it when the champion comes out first. Especially Johnny Gargano. It's not like Shinsuke Nakamura's coming out, you know, <laughs> he'll need all this time in the ring and stuff. It's just Johnny Gargano is like, hey guys, I'm so happy to be here, man. Let's go wrestle some matches. <laughs> you know, Johnny Wrestling, there's not a lot to it. I don't know why Gargano comes out second. Yeah, so if he's Johnny Wrestling, does that make her Candace Wrestling? Yes, yes. Yeah, I really, I really dug this match, and, and I have to announce here, you know what Dave Meltzer gave this match? Seven stars? Yeah. <laughs> no, if he had given it seven stars, there it might have broken the internet, or at least broken the internet wrestling community. Right. No, but he did give it five stars. Hell yeah, man. This match was awesome. This match was career-defining for Johnny Gargano. Do you really think it was five stars, though? But if you think that it was career-defining for one of them, if not both of them, then, yeah, I guess you would believe it was five stars. I absolutely I... give this match five stars. It was that was, wow. like, that was like New Japan main event good. That was such a good match. It was good. But, uh, you know, that five stars, especially from Meltzer, for anything related to WWE product, that that is just shocking. Yeah, I agree with everything about this match except for the very end of the match, which we'll get into. Uh, but no, this match, Jesus, man, watch this match. This match is so good. And like I, like I you know, more or less said just a second ago... Almas has needed a match like this, like he to really have a because I know he's been capable of really good matches. He's had very good matches throughout his NXT tenure, um, but man, he needed something like this match. And Gargano was able to give him this match, and it was it was it was really great. Worthy of Meltzer's five stars. I got my five stars on a scale of uh, one to ten because I have ten stars because I'm twice as good as Meltzer. Yeah. Wow. Well, that would make you 12 stars then, since now he's decided to arbitrarily expand his own scale. Oh, wow. A lot of really, really great wrestling in here. A lot of innovative offense from uh, Almas. You can definitely see the influences from all the other places he's wrestled here, like the uh, the the, in, the reverse uh, Tornado DDT, which was awesome. I never even like thought that you could really do that. Um, <laughs> I don't see this very often. If I had, I, I didn't recognize it the first time I saw it. Um, but just, man, just, just such great wrestling in this match and so many close calls and basically everything I said that needed to happen happened, but I don't exactly like the outcome of it happening. Like I knew that, you know, Vega, uh, the lady with Almas, the, uh, the, the manager, the valet, whatever she is to him. Um, I knew she'd get involved to the point of Candice LeRae getting involved. And I said that in the the you know predictions going into this that that was going to be a key factor. Sure enough, yes, did. sure enough, Candice LeRae gets involved and takes out Vega, 
And I thought, like, that's it. Like, the runway is clear, Johnny. You just have to fly the plane. Um, but no. No. In the end, you know, it may have been, like, the 20th time, but a hammerlock DDT from the top rope on the Gargano takes out Gargano. Man, like, I don't think I've ever seen that many close calls in a match before until this match. And if, if, you, if you don't see the high quality of this match, then I have to... I have to wonder about that. We'll talk about it maybe off off the air because I I don't know how you can't be super impressed by both these wrestlers after this match. You're talking about me. I'm talking about you, Darren. I am super impressed. I just don't know if it's. I just don't know if Meltzer's five. I'm not even saying I wouldn't give it five stars. I just surprises me that Meltzer did. That's all. Oh wow. Okay. And um, we, I mean, and we really this is the most we've ever said Dave Meltzer. On this show, because normally his or anyone else's critical opinion, we just don't even bother because, hey, this is the whole reference show. It's about our critical opinions. It's about our critical opinions. Yes, it right. is. It's about hashtag wrestle news and wrestle views. Hashtag wrestle talk. Don't forget that, dear listeners. Right. And like I said, this match is solid. Gargano should have absolutely won this match, though. He'll never have a match as good as this match for the NXT title ever again. Um, so, like, it to me, it's just the planets aligned, and it's like, this is one of the best NXT title matches I have ever seen. It's one of the best title matches I have ever seen, and Gargano not going over is just infuriating, especially, especially since when Gargano is being helped out to the entryway with Candice LeRae, Champa shows up. Tommaso Champa, former formerly with DIY with Gargano, hits hits Johnny Gargano with the crutch, and it's like if that was going to happen anyway, why didn't it happen at the end of the match? And that's how Gargano loses the match. That infuriated me. If that was going to happen anyway, you might as well have had it happen during the match, and that's and cost Gargano the match. And then it just adds so much more fuel to the Gargano Champa fire. And to me, not doing that and just going like, well, he'll he'll hit you on the way out. Like, no, no, no. You know, Candice LeRae chases Vega off. Uh, Andrade follows after them, maybe for a little bit. Gargano runs up the entryway and, you know, starts pounding on Almas. Champa, because I know he's on a crutch, he can't really get that far out. That's why you're on the entryway. Champa comes out, nails Gargano with the crutch. Then almost takes him back to the ring and, and hits him with the, the finisher and, and takes him out. That would have been so much more... That, that's a better ending to me than just, well, he just gave up in the end. <laughs> you know what I mean? I do. I do. Yeah. So, But I, but I, the two things I said, the, the two things that helped me go with Gargano over Andrade, congratulations, because you picked Andrade. I said, you know, Candice LeRae is going to take out Vega. And, you know, if Champa's, you know, not going to be around or may be around, you know, that, that could be a deciding factor as well. Uh, the Candice LeRae thing happened. Champa was there, did make an appearance, did make an impact, but had nothing to do with the actual match. So, anyway, really, really happy with the way all of uh, TakeOver turned out. It was a lot of fun. Those are always super, super good. And uh, and show stealing from the weekend, you know. So they are, they are. Now I will say this is the first time in a while where I didn't feel that the takeover was better than the main roster event or show or whatever. But I will say, it's hard to say that it could be the best. But I'm not going to argue against it. 
Well, it's, it's, against it. it's hard to beat the Rumble, let alone two Rumbles. So, wrestling exactly. match-wise, that's the best wrestling match over the weekend. Like, hands down. That's the best wrestling match you saw. Okay, totally fair. I can totally... I'm totally with you. I, I don't... You know, I don't mean to take anything away from these guys. They had a great match. I don't know it's, why yeah. you hate NXT. I don't know why yeah. you hate wrestling, Darren. If you don't want to podcast anymore, just say so. Just say so. Fans, write us in. Tell us that we should never give up and that you love us very much. <laughs> we need our egos stroked every now and again. Uh, that's it for TakeOver uh, Philadelphia. A lot of uh, new faces in the audience. Can't wait until they're integrated into that locker room. And uh, a lot of good matches. Darren wins the head-to-head. Head-to-head. He's 4-1. and one, And I am 3-2. and two. And uh, that's the way it goes. But who will win the Royal Rumble head-to-head? Head-to-head. Let's find out. This past Sunday was the Royal Rumble! With, uh... <laughs> I, I, I missed that. I missed the days of Vince McMahon doing the uh, the over-the-top voiceover. Uh, no, no pun intended. No for the Royal Rumble. Uh, over-the-top voiceover. Uh, indeed, the Royal Rumble was this past Sunday. It was in Philadelphia. And uh, it was quite the spectacle. Wouldn't you agree, Darren? Uh, yes, but not the same spectacle as Vince McMahon having strep throat for a global audience. Uh, yes, <laughs> basically. This was a super spectacular. It totally was. It, it, it lived up to all the billing of any year. It definitely uh, lived up to the billing as one of the big four. And um, now that they've made SummerSlam so damn important, I guess this one's kind of the third biggest show of the year. Don't you dare Although, say that. Don't you dare say that. I know. In my mind, it will always be the second biggest show of the year. But it's the officially the road to WrestleMania. SummerSlam is post-mania. It doesn't mean anything. Well, I know, but they call it like, now. They're calling it like Mini Mania or Summer Mania, and Boo. it's like <laughs> that's lame. But Rumble, uh, this was a great show. This was a really great show. It was a really big shoe, if you will, and uh, a lot of stuff. I mean, let's get right into it. There, there was a pre-show. A two-hour pre-show for a four-hour special start time show. Right. So it's a six-hour show. Right, right. Now, it, it's not a seven-and-a-half-hour show like WrestleMania 33, the ultimate thrill ride <laughs> from Camping World Stadium. But it is a six-hour show, which means there's two hours of pre-show. There's three unannounced matches that happen. We get to see... Four, six, twelve, yes, twelve more wrestlers on the pre-show than we would see on the regular show. And you know what? Amazingly enough, none of these twelve would do double duty in the Rumble. And for that, I must say, I am happy. And I am proud because my most hated thing is the double duty Rumble. Well, <laughs> someone pulled double duty in the Rumble, so that that did actually... Actually, a few people pulled double duty. And they always do. That's the worst thing. I absolutely hate it. But these 12, these 12 at least, do not. Right. And then that's interesting because 
uh, th- does this does this pay per view now hold the record for most participants in a pay per view? It has. To. Doesn't it have to? Yeah, it absolutely has to. This truly shows the ridiculous size of their roster. That's over like, eighty they, wrestlers, right? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And then when you take into account that there's still tons of main roster people that did not appear on this show, and then the well over a hundred people at the Performance Center and NXT combined, that's crazy. Right. It almost makes you wonder how do they even manage payroll. I mean, that's insane. But let's go ahead and get started. The first match of the evening will take up six of these 12 slots. It is a six-man tag match, cruiserweight battle between Kalisto, Grand Metalik, and Lince Dorado, the Golden Lynx. They take on TJP, Drew Gulak, and Jack Gallagher. Now... I like these dudes. I like 205 Live so much. Uh, I just don't understand why they can't make it work. Only WWE could make it not work. Now, that being said, I'm serious. Think about all the light heavyweight and cruiserweight debacles over the years in the WWF slash WWE. Meanwhile, cruiserweight division was... Comparable to anything in WCW. It was a lot of fun. That that second hour was a lot of fun. All these dudes that are in 205 Live all have very successful indie careers. And so it doesn't matter what year it is or what company it is. As long as it's not WWE, it works. Then they get to WWE and I will say this. It works for me. When I watch the product, I get enjoyment out of it. But it's clear the way that they treat it and the way that they push it, they feel it doesn't work. You, you, and, you, you think that's the problem that, that kind of it shines through? Like, because it, it's not working because everyone knows, like, backstage they don't care for it as much? Or, or more I, so Vince doesn't care for it so much? Sure. Right. I agree with that. I totally agree with that. But I don't know. So you get the Luchador team versus. Uh, the non-Luchador team here, I guess. <laughs> good, Kalisto, good one. Grand Metalik, and Lince Dorado forming their uh, their alliance. They've been on 205 Live a couple of times lately, representing themselves as this trio. Um, I find it interesting that Jack Gallagher's uh, sort of outside-the-box trunks and, and uh, gear that he would wear apparently wasn't weird enough that they make him wear a full suit now, minus the, the jacket. Um, I don't know that that's necessary. It's weird to me. I right. don't know. WWE is not really the place for that. Right. But, I understand. Anyway. Uh, so it's a good match because it's six excellent wrestlers. Uh, the biggest highlight of the match is a really cool triple moonsault uh, by the Luchador team off of the same led ring post uh the big fat octagonal ring post they've added outside so that they can advertise every square inch of your field of vision right but uh it does make an excellent platform for uh high flyers like this and that was totally the coolest move here um of course all they could talk about was the announcement of the new general manager for 205 live 
which uh, we already talked about earlier in the show, uh, turned out to be Drake Maverick, a.k.a. Rockstar Spud. But on this night, it was like, oh, man, who could it be? Who could it be? But here in my notes, I'm, 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 I'm like, nope, I don't know who it's going to be. Is it going to be Goldust? You know, because he was so involved in 205 Live recently. And that would have been a neat thing to me is Goldust as, as, as a GM. But anyway, uh, the Luchadors go over. They uh, The Luchadors are the baby faces here, and they kick off the show like any good uh, opening band, and uh, they, they do away with the, the baddie guys, the bads. <laughs> right, of course. Next up, Gallows and Anderson of the Balor Club. No, no, they're no longer an adjectiveless club. They have they have the Balor in there, and they're reunited with uh, with Finn Balor and the trio are the OGs of the Bullet Club, and Gallows and Anderson without Finn Balor on this night on the pre-show take on Dash and Dawson of the Revival, and the Revival makes short work of Gallows and Anderson. They, uh, they sort of get that receipt. From the Manhattan Center the other night on the 25th anniversary of Raw, when Gallows and Anderson and Balor and Scott Hall <laughs> and DX all humiliated uh, the Revival. So the Revival get their heat back a little bit here in Philadelphia and uh, pick apart Gallows and Anderson, which, uh, you know, this, this is the kind of match that needed to be. Why aren't these guys... Why aren't either of these teams fighting for tag titles? And I don't mean to take anything away from the teams that are fighting later on the show, but they have an excellent tag division if they'll just rotate it and then make it work. I will take away from half the teams fighting on this show. Uh, and <laughs> But uh, okay, sure. Well, I mean, obviously, your first target have to has to be Rollins and and uh, Jordan. Uh, yeah, sure, correct. Okay, yeah, sure. Uh, okay. Uh, Sorry, you, well, you said Rollins just now. And I thought I thought you meant Raleigh. My my brain went to Mojo Raleigh. I was like, no, stupid. Uh, so no. <laughs> so yeah, obviously, Seth Rollins and Jason Jordan are the thing that should not be, and uh, Shelton Benjamin <laughs> and Chad Gable are just watered down you know watered down tag team so anyway but well yeah yeah we'll talk about we'll talk about rollins and uh and jordan in just a minute but anyway the revival do go over hopefully uh both these teams will get a little bit more spotlight a little bit more shine pretty soon i i i hope but we do have a title match on the pre-show the united states championship held by Bobby Roode, the glorious one, is being defended here right before the Royal Rumble proper begins as he takes on Mojo Rawley. You know what they say about Mojo Rawley, don't you? He's uh, he's overrated and no good? No, that's what you say, and oh, you're okay. wrong. Okay. What they say is that he doesn't get hyped, he stays Hi. That's right. Mojo Raleigh answers the challenge to Bobby Roode's U.S. Open, like the glorious challenge, I believe it was. Um, so yeah, they, they didn't just throw Mojo out there for no reason. However, originally there was someone else who was supposed to answer that challenge. It was supposed to be Adam Cole. 
which would have been really interesting to do, but I think they wanted to avoid confusion. Um, people may have thought he was he was jumping, and, and I, I don't know why they decided to even do that to begin with, but in the end, it didn't happen. But you would maybe see Adam Cole later on in the show, though. Well, uh, I mean, Adam Cole, baby, that's all I can say. Of course. Mojo Rawley, unfortunately, comes up on... The losing end Unfortunate of Unfortunate for who? You and Mojo Raleigh? Yeah. Yeah. Me and Mojo Raleigh. Because I went I, I went Bobby Roode to go through all the bullshit he had to go through to get the U.S. title. The losing a triple threat match for Baron Corbin and Dolph Ziggler only for Ziggler to throw the title down. And then Bobby Roode defeat everyone in the tournament to get the U.S. title only to lose it immediately on the pre-show for Royal Rumble, right? That's what you wanted? That's what you want? Um... Yes, because okay. I like Mojo Rawley. Okay, you are yeah. a, you are a fool. You are. A fool. I I only like the things that I like. I know you're a fool, and Mr. T pities you. Uh, and and <laughs> it's 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 no pity. It's no pity that Mojo lost the match. Very awkward last minute of the match. It seemed like a lot of miscommunications. Uh, I, I have almost tornado DDT into a glorious. DDT, and it wasn't even a glorious, the thing was, it wasn't even a tornado DDT, and it wasn't even technically a glorious DDT, it was just like a DDT in a pin, and I was like, alright, I guess that was the glorious DDT, it was so strange. Yeah, that's, that's too bad, I can't imagine that these two guys have a whole lot of compatibility, and I'm not taking, uh, you know, anything away from either of them, I know Mojo isn't the sharpest, most well-seasoned wrestler there is. I think he's pretty damn good. And Bobby Roode is a specimen. He's a technician. Uh, nevertheless, I doubt they've wrestled a whole bunch, so it probably was just miscommunication. It seemed like it. And hey, you know, go back a minute to Dolph Ziggler. Uh, this thing, this whole thing, this bullshit with Dolph Ziggler... I mean, I don't understand. Can we please get an answer to this? Like, what happened? What happened? What really happened? And what? why hasn't there been an explanation on screen? Somebody get Sherlock Holmes on the case. Somebody get Poirot. Someone get Batman and figure this out because I need to know what the deal is with Ziggler abdicating that belt well the only thing better than knowing darren is speculating about it you know <laughs> you know that yes i agree but my speculation is done i need an answer because especially before the night is over i will be screaming at my television right and we'll we'll get there when we get there certainly will and we'll also get to the main show when we get there which is right now so the royal rumble now officially begins after watching three matches Two-hour-long kickoff pre-show. Uh, the Royal Rumble itself starts off with a world title match. This is SmackDown's world title, held by the phenomenal AJ Styles. He's uh, fighting in a handicap match against Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. And uh, we already voiced this in the last episode that it's ridiculous that if <laughs> Owens and Zayn win, they're co-champions. And, and, and just that alone, if, if that showed up in the wrestling almanac, you know, <laughs> it would always be like, what the hell? Why are there two champions? Um, so, so you know, we'll see what happens here. Uh, it, it's a decent match, and it's just, I, I hate, and I love all three of these people, 
And, and and that is why, if I can interject, that's why it's a decent match. Right, it's because a decent match. Three good talents. Absolutely, there's three great uh, wrestlers. AJ and Kevin Owens already did a program together. It was a lot of fun. It was really good stuff. Um, but I, I just I don't care about the idea of the match so much that I'm not really invested. So the best I can say is it's it's a decent match. Um, However, it does end with uh, AJ Styles rolling up uh, Kevin Owens for the win. Uh, there is, of course, on the following SmackDown, there's talk about how uh, like Owens wasn't legal man or something like that. I forget exactly what. So some BS. But uh, anyway, the winner of the night and retaining his title is AJ Styles. Um, yeah, I mean, not much to say about it. I mean, you've seen this match, I feel like, a hundred times by now. So, uh, whatever. You know, I'm... Have you heard about the the stuff that comes out of the pre-show with Kevin Owens and Peter Rosenberg? I heard something about this. Um, yeah, apparently Kevin Owens hates Rosenberg, uh, like for a shoot, and as a result, he refused to speak to him on the pre-show. He went totally off script and would only talk to Renee Young, and. It led to some extremely awkward um, moments on screen, which at a glance appear to just be Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, the heels, right? right? But uh, WWE officials knew exactly what it was, that it was much more than that because it wasn't supposed to be that way. Right. And so I don't know if Kevin Owens is going to be facing any repercussions, but I know Peter Rosenberg certainly has to feel like a, big pile of dog shit. Well, um, Kevin Owens typically does that. Doesn't he always, when people try to interview him backstage, he calls him by the wrong name on purpose, and he gave he gave poor Rich Brennan hell, uh, slash Rich Bikini hell in NXT. Uh, we had the soundbite uh, <laughs> at the beginning of our show about that. Um, so, I mean, I, I heard about that because I heard, I read something about Mark Henry uh, talking to Jerry Lawler about Jerry Lawler not liking Rosenberg, um, and Lawler even saying, like, I don't really know the guy. I had to defend the guy against Kevin Owens because um, it was a weird situation. So who knows what's going on there. If, if if Kevin Owens doesn't like the guy and is ignoring him on purpose, he needs to grow the fuck up. Uh, he, he's, a, he's above that. He should be above that. Uh, he's way too talented to do something fucking stupid and, and immature as that. Um, so... Oh, uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, especially when it's something that could have some blowback on him. Yeah. He's got to be absolutely. He's got to be bigger. But but also but also Rosenberg is struggling to have like this wrestling identity in WWE and like some validation that he belongs there and that he is an analyst and he knows what he's talking about. So for someone to totally undercut him like that. That's horrible. That's shitty, man. That 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 really does suck. And you know, I'm not a huge fan of Roberts or Rosenberg. I'll definitely take Rosenberg over Roberts, but at the same time, like that—that that would suck for anyone. You, you don't do that to people, so you don't embarrass them on international television. You know that's shitty. So anyway, I—I uh, I agree. I completely agree. I—I I, I really don't like Sam Roberts, but I still don't even want to see him humiliated off script when he doesn't see it coming. I mean, that's just. Again, not professional and not cool. Yeah, that's not fair. So, but but I do, I do not like Sam Roberts. So let's make, <laughs> let's make that clear. I know Darren. I know. <laughs> well, moving on, uh, 
again, a night that is just <laughs> a night of a billion stars and uh, all the championships. We have the SmackDown Live tag titles up next. The champions, the Usos, Jimmy and Jay, are going to take on Chad Gable and Shelton Benjamin in a best two out of three falls match. And uh, the team, uh, ostensibly known as American Alpha 2, are taking on the Uso Penitentiary here. And immediately they're working Jimmy Uso's knee. Of and, course, uh, of course. And, and I'm, I'm glad I'm glad on a show with the two-hour-long kickoff and two Royal Rumbles, you you want to elongate the match and make it a two out of three, and not just a not just a pin or submit your opponent and retain your titles or win the titles match. Yeah, I. <laughs> it did seem almost deliberate on this night that it's like. Oh, you're gonna sit here and watch wrestling. <laughs> it's like you pack a lunch, kid. Right, exactly. Uh, high flying, high flying does come into the match. Uh, Gable, Gable, moon salting to the outside. Yeah, was really a sweet move. It looked like you know, it looked like the first time you see Kurt Angle do it. Like, or when Kurt Angle did the moon salt off the cage. Right. Uh, 20 years ago now. Oh, 20 years ago. That's exactly when that was. That's scary. Um, when you think about that, uh, Chad Gable looks super impressive as well. But Gable ends up actually being on the receiving end of a super kick party. Yep. And uh, that uh, results in the in the first fall going to the Usos. And you, you think typical two out of three matches, or two out of three falls match that... It's going to be like, okay, the Usos get one. Now Benjamin and Gable get one. And who's going to get that third one? But no, I guess someone put in the call to like, go ahead and go home. And uh, the uh, the team of Benjamin and Gable don't even get a fall. Uh, they just take the fall as uh, Gable is quickly rolled up for the pin. And the second fall, kind of the, the Usos kind of sneak in and sneak out with the titles. And man, I, I, was, I was actually surprised by how quickly the match ended. Because, I mean, like, yeah. best two out of three falls, textbook. Someone gets one, someone gets one, or the other team gets the other, and then who's going to get that last one? But not this time. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Is this is a burial of, of uh, Gable and Benjamin because they really, I mean, they had the best moments in the match. You know, there was that uh, really nasty-looking tag team move they did to Jimmy Uso on the outside during that uh, second uh, the second fall, but overall, I mean, just back to back pinfalls there from the Usos. I mean, yikes! Yeah, that looked too good. And also, we talked about how the Usos were in danger of losing this match and their titles because of the whole DU, uh, DUI thing. I almost said DIY yeah. thing. Uh, the whole DUI thing, um, and uh, that did not come into play at all. And I think. You know, uh, I think that I think DUIs are DIY. I think they are DIY. That, that that's a good call. But um, as far as good calls go, you made the call that Usos would retain the titles. I said that maybe Benjamin and Gable uh, might walk away with them. I was wrong, and you were right. I'm a big dummy. Uh, so so far, because obviously before that we 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 glossed over the match so quickly. That's how disinterested we were in the whole idea of AJ against Owens and Zayn. Uh, AJ, we knew would retain. He did, so we got that one right. 
Usos go over. You got that right. I said Benjamin and Gable. I got that wrong. So you are winning the head-to-head. Head-to-head. Thus far. Yeah, that, we only disagreed on two matches on this night. And uh, that's that's pretty good, considering there were two Royal Rumbles. Right. I, I don't want to uh, say that I called both Rumbles, uh, but... Because of this match, only because of losing this match, did I not get a perfect pay-per-view. And on a night with two rumbles, that, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> that is pretty impressive. Now, the shock of the night to me was, you know what came next? Yeah. The men's Royal Rumble match. Yeah, the men's Royal Rumble match. And as soon as it happened, I thought, well, the ladies, they're getting that main event. You know, I will say this. We've talked a lot of shit about it being a six-hour show. I actually watched all six hours uninterrupted, and it didn't feel like six hours. It didn't feel like it was too long, and the arrangement of the matches was A-OK with me. I was shocked when they said it was now time for the Men's Royal Rumble match. Totally shocked. Totally shocked. But when the night ended i thought this was actually booked perfectly the rumble itself the 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 six hour show the oh, okay I matches gotcha. which i would have never i wouldn't have booked it this way but they again they're the billionaires they're the global uh the globally uh celebrated and publicly traded uh successful company and I'm not. And <laughs> you, you're not a you're not a globally traded and uh, successful company. Well, you know, I'm not globally traded. I mean, I'm not. Okay. You know, my carcass isn't on the meat market. This isn't broke down palace or. Uh, <laughs> or Fair enough. Uh, I actually, I actually, uh, I, I don't know how you would uh, how you would exactly break the night up and, and make it interesting throughout. Um, but I will say that. Uh, the matches between the two Rumble matches did suffer. Uh, the audience was pretty quiet. Like, very quiet. <laughs> they did. They did. I don't, but yeah, I still support the way they lined it up. Right. And, and, I, and I echo what you're saying, which is, how do you prevent that? You have two Royal Rumble matches. That's what the tickets are for. That's why people are there. Absolutely. Yeah, so, yeah. And you throw in a couple of weird matches. You throw in a triple threat for the Universal title that nobody really wants to see because of how, like you know, how telegraphed the finish is just by the lineup. And then that weird Raw tag. But I will talk about them when we get there. But they do suffer. Let's talk about the Men's Royal Rumble match, though. Like, you know, if anything was highly successful on this night, it was the two Rumble matches. So... How do you want to handle this monster? I mean, we got 30 men here. Do you want to just run down the in, the order of entry? We're going to run down the order of entry, and also we're going to talk about the Royal Rumble contest, which was going on as the Rumble itself was going on. Um, yeah. And, and I was sitting there with my list and going, ooh, who is that? Oh, who is that fighting that? Oh, me too, definitely. Um, so we're going to basically, I'm going to name the 30... 30 individuals, actual wrestlers involved in the match, and the participant in the Royal Rumble contest that coincides with the wrestler's number as well. I oh. dig it. That, oh. that way I'll remember I'll remember all those moments when I was like, 
All right, now Jonas Black is fighting Ryan Kelly. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, so here, here, Gonzalez, you better watch your ass. So here's the here are the thirty wrestlers involved in the men's Royal Rumble match, as well as the uh, whole Ref and Show second annual uh, Royal Rumble contest participants. Uh, number one was Rusev, which was Jared Hill. Number two was Finn Balor, which was Charles Volkert. Uh, three was Rhino, which was Casey Lauer. Four was Baron Corbin, which was Abe Martin. Five was Heath Slater, which was Duncan Welker. Six was Elias, which was Daniel Laguna. Seven was Andrade Almos. The uh, NXT champion showed up. Pretty awesome. That was Crystal. Eight was Bray Wyatt, which was Ben Blanton. Nine was Big E, which was Randy Davenport. Ten was Ty Dillinger, but no... (laughs) Ty Dillinger taken out and basically humiliated uh, by Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. And Sami Zayn ran in. I guess that's fair and legal, right? I guess you can just beat up whoever and jump in the rumble. Yeah, I mean, you get a du- on this night, we get a double whammy with the, like, gimmick entry, which is Sami Zayn enters himself because he can, I guess. Right. By beating up Ty Dillinger. And then we get the gimmick of Heath Slater not being able to make it into the ring and every person coming down and beating him up on the way. And, uh, you know, it's that sort of like, uh, I guess, Curtis Axel, you know, was never eliminated. Uh, Owen Hart never appeared in the 98 Rumble. There's always something. There's always one of those weird uh, gimmick entries. Like No, 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 no. Owen Hart was in the 98 Rumble. It was Skull or 8-Ball from DOA that did not show up. Oh, thank you. Remember Triple H hits Owen with the crutch and pulls Owen out of the ring with the crutch handle? No, I do not remember that. Okay, that's what happened. (laughs) So Owen is on that one, but I I see what you're saying, though. Um, But number 10, uh, Ty Dillinger, a.k.a. Sami Zayn, was Ryan Kelly. Uh, 11 was Sheamus, Sheamus, who was uh, Rashawn Rochester. 12 was Xavier Woods, which was Sean Garino. 13, Apollo Crews, which, interesting that he showed up. Uh, Ryan Pate. 14 was Shinsuke Nakamura, which is Tom Breen. Uh, 15, Cesaro, which was Ryan Rice. 16, Kofi Kingston, which was Tyler Rollins. 17 was Jinder Mahal, the modern-day Maharaja, which was Destiny. 18 was Seth Rollins, who was Effie, the gold boy grab-ass, the uh, friend of the show, Effie. 19 was Matt Hardy, who was Dalton Sutter. 20, John Cena, Jonas Black. 21 was The Hurricane, Shane Helm showed up, and that was Dark Zero. 22, Aiden English, which was Eli Ward. 23 was Adam Cole, baby, so not... Not uh, answering the U.S. Open Challenge, uh, not playing golf, or fighting Bobby Roode earlier in the show, but showing up at the Rumble. Pretty cool. Cool for Luis Gonzalez. Uh, Hopefully he's an Adam Cole fan. 24, Randy Orton, who won last year's Rumble. Uh, That was actually a friend of the show, Rich Bokini. 25, Titus O'Neil, Richard Studebaker. 26, The Miz, which was Brian Lyman. Number 27 was Rey Mysterio making his return to WWE, which and that was Rhett Thibodeau. 28 was Roman Reigns, which was Jason Maxwell. Boo! 
to Roman Reigns, not Jason Maxwell. <laughs> 29 was Goldust, and that was John Bring. And number 30, who would it be? It's Dolph Ziggler. What an anticlimactic rumble. And by the way, that was Mike Farinelli, who drew number 30 in last year's rumble as well. Why, Dolph Ziggler? Why? What a letdown, man. Why? why? Super letdown and still like, okay, the only way that's not a letdown is if he comes out with a microphone and like explains the last however many weeks. Right. And not only explains it, but it's like a good explanation. There needed to be something really solid in that moment. And there was nothing. Yeah. There was nothing. I'm surprised they managed to squeeze in Elias playing guitar, having like a guitar segment during the Rumble. And and by the way, this Rumble uh, went on for a while without like any eliminations or any significant eliminations. So that ring got full and it stayed full. You know why, Darren? I noticed this watching it. This is the first ever Royal Rumble that did not include a super heavyweight. Not one. So there was no beast to come out there and clear the ring. No monster to come out and clear the ring. No Taker, no Kane, no Strowman, no Brock, no Goldberg, no Mark Henry, no no Umaga. You know, <laughs> nothing. Nothing like that. The biggest guy you got was Rusev. Right, yeah. I mean, and Rusev's a brute, but he really, he's not a monster by any stretch. No. Uh, Especially now that he's, you know, Mr. Happy Wrestling Man. With, he is Happy Wrestling Man. With Aiden English at his side. And, oh, oh, we have somebody, a totally credible uh, monster. Um, a comedy gimmick, comedy gimmick, comedy right. gimmick. You know what the Rusev needs? He needs someone to talk for him. Lana? No, 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 someone else. How about, how about not the person that's always been with them? Uh. <laughs> um, and I tell you... So, Baron Corbin gets dumped uh, in the Royal Rumble and then wipes out everyone. Yeah. Including Heath Slater on the ramp. And then, of course, that's what lets uh, Slater become a whipping boy uh, for the next however many minutes by everyone that's entering the match. Uh, And then when he finally does get in way later, he eliminates Sheamus uh, at at one second, which I thought... Uh, is only okay because there was Sheamus doing that damned double double duty. Yeah, yeah. But other than that, that's kind of embarrassing for Sheamus, who has won the Royal Rumble before. Um, I always find it odd. I really do find it odd every year who they pick to kind of humiliate. And I don't mean in the Slater way. I mean in the Sheamus way. Like, you know, it seems like it happens every year, and they they kind of do it to gender later uh gender isn't humiliated like outright the way that Sheamus is but really for the guy who carried the WWE title for months and could not be beat he seemed like well I'm here I it seemed like oh this is this is way gender would have been in the Royal Rumble seven years ago right not the way WWE champion gender should be in the Rumble but Anyway, we did already mention that Ty Dillinger, who came out at number 10, which made me smile, just like last year when he made his uh, appearance in the Rumble. Of course, the perfect 10 comes out at number 10 and uh, jumped. uh, And as a result, Sami Zayn enters himself, and that's totally legal. 
<laughs> I want to say that when Shinsuke came out, the the initial pop, that immediate pop, was deafening. And then the fact that they sang his music for a solid 45 seconds. Oh, absolutely. I cannot believe... Well, first of all, I cannot believe how over some of the... like Rusev, how over was he on this night? Yeah, man, Rusev. People love that uh, Happy Rusev Day. They love it. I, I would say... The biggest pop, okay. The biggest pops of the night were Rusev, Elias, yeah, uh, Adam Cole, and then and then like all three of those were way way up here, way higher than most any other crowd reaction. And then Nakamura, even way higher than them. Yeah, but uh, good on Elias. Like, boy, he is taking off after such a what I consider a really slow start. Uh, and now he is he is he is skyrocketing right now. If you've listened to the show for a while, then you recall when Darren and I would often go to NXT house shows and we we talk about, you know, Elias Sampson, the drifter, you know, back in the day, and man, he was hated. The the these small audiences of a hundred to two hundred people would just boo the shit out of him. You know, the whole drift away chant. Um, uh, I remember this one guy screaming, uh, please retire um, at Elias. And and just like, I, I don't understand what's going on here. Like, no one likes this guy. But I remember eventually he did a triple threat match with uh, Revival. And they did a little bit before that. And I went, okay, no, I get it. No, Elias is, is actually really good. So to go from all that and to go from losing to Oni, Lor- Oni Lorcan three times in one day... At that one house show we went to, when, oh, yeah. he, when he already lost a loser leaves town match to Cassius Ono, so he had to wear a mask and call himself Bob Dylan, um, <laughs> and, and, and then <laughs> that was his goodbye from NXT. And I thought, like, oh, he's dead in the water when he gets to the main show, and he is doing great. Like he is thriving on the main show, and I'm I'm super impressed and good for Elias. Yeah, I'm impressed too. Good for him. Uh... And I can't believe that the pop. I mean, it, it's working. It's all he's firing on all cylinders right now. Uh, easily the biggest boo of the night was Roman Reigns. I'm not just saying that because I like to say it. It that's straight up unbiased reporting. Roman <laughs> Reigns was booed out of the building. Yeah. Oh my God, he was booed out of the building. But how about Rey Mysterio? That was a pretty big pop. Um, I, I, it, it's, it's easily fifth place to Rusev, Elias, Cole, and Nakamura, but a nice pop. And he looked like a million dollars cash. Yeah. Wearing, I mean, covered in tattoos and, and also wearing a mask. I mean, it, it, you can't look at someone's face and go, look how old they are. So he was still in good shape, but he could still move. So he did look like you plucked him out of 10 years ago. Yeah, the number one thing that actually looked like to me looked like you plucked him out of twenty years ago because the the number one improvement to me was that he got rid of the jinkos and oh, went yeah. back to tights. And to me, that that made him that made it so much better. Like I never understood the whole big baggy pants thing on him. I don't know if it was. I'm sure it was some effort to make him look bigger. So it fact, makes him it look taller. Him taller. <laughs> yeah. It's like you try to wear try to wear adult clothes, little kid. Yeah, no, I, I understand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like a kid who wears his dad's suit to like eighth grade 
national junior beta club induction ceremony. It's like, that's not your suit. That's way too big. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah, (laughs) there was that, uh, hurricane showed up. I don't think anyone expected him to show up, but he wasn't in for very long. Um, but it was kind of interesting that he of all people, uh, was on the rumble this year. Um, there were some interesting interactions with people. It was actually a very well-booked Rumble, I thought. It was a lot of fun. Obviously, the, the finish, I thought, was great. Um, but uh, the, the spot with uh, Kofi um, almost getting eliminated, and then he his foot lands on like the plate of pancakes that you know, Big E and, and Xavier Woods have, that didn't work for me too much. It, it would have been cool if they made like a, like, basically like a path of pancakes, Kind of, kind of like a, like a walkway path into a house, like the stone walkway path. Had they made right. like like a, a yellow brick road of pancakes, basically, that'd have been kind of cool for him to to like hop on and then get back into the ring again. Um, right. And it's cool that Andrade went to throw him out and knew that like Big E and Xavier would just catch him, so immediately changes course and throws him out the other direction. Um, Andrade was in there for a while. I was actually impressed that he stuck around for quite so, as long as he did. So. Yeah, I'm with you. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. Of all the amazing Kofi Kingston saving himself moments over the years, this one didn't work for me either. And I think it was because seeing him standing flat-footed outside the ring, even if it w- was with only one foot, it it still looked like no, you're just standing on the floor. Yeah, I think both feet should land in the pile of pancakes. And like I said. Because, yeah, right. if, you, if you have one, that means anyone could fall out and just not land both feet. So it kind of made it like, nah, this kind of cheapens the whole thing. Like It does. It did. It, yeah. it cheapened the whole thing, and it did, not have, it did not have the intended effect that it usually does when he does something, you know, extraordinary to, to save himself. So I was disappointed in that, too. Um, I, I was very impressed with Almas. I thought that was really cool. Even though I've, I've kind of cooled on the New Day, I did enjoy them all being in it. Like, I enjoyed the sort of, I don't know, the chaos that they bring. Because the Royal Rumble itself is chaos. And then to see that three individual parts are all united, right. you know, like, that, that's, a, that's kind of a neat thing. That's like, ugh, you know, any given moment, it could be, in fact, three on one. And uh, I like that. Yeah. Disappointed in Jinder's performance. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Jinder Mahal. Disappointed in that performance. But your final six are Rey Mysterio, Randy Orton, John Cena, Roman Reigns, Finn Balor, and Shinsuke Nakamura. And I was thinking, this is crazy. This is crazy times when these are your six finalists here in the Royal Rumble. And then your final four are the two most loved and two most hated. Yeah, I liked how they did that. (laughs) Yeah. As our final four are Balor, Nakamura, Cena, and Reigns. And Cena, when he eliminated Finn Balor, I I just, I put my head in my hand. (laughs) Um, And I really thought we are about to see Vince McMahon stick his entire fist down the throat of every wrestling fan. Yeah. This is Vince McMahon slapping everyone across the face. But, but we were pleasantly 
surprised. Nakamura eliminates Cena, and then he eliminates Reigns. Yeah, it's a pretty big deal knocking off the two big, the quote biggest guys in the company to win the Royal Rumble. Nakamura does it, and uh, that's it, man. Shinsuke Nakamura is going to WrestleMania. He got to choose which champion to challenge. He said those magic words. He's challenging AJ Styles, which means what, listeners? Which means what, Darren? What does Perry get? What Perry wants. (laughs) Perry gets. I get the match that I say has been building up for a very long time. You got hints of it at Money in the Bank with the short exchange between Styles and Nakamura. I said going into this rumble... There is no shortage of opponents on Raw for Brock Lesnar to face. AJ Styles is going to need someone to fight at WrestleMania. And I said that it would happen because kind of a, a return volley to New Japan, throwing Chris Jericho into their, you know, their their main event, their double main event. I thought like, oh, what better way to get back at him then than to have Nakamura come over and also AJ fighting. And, and that's basically a return match from New Japan. So it is all things that I said. I'm right about everything. I am a wrestling god. Uh, if you want to donate to me, if you want to pay tribute to me, fill my coffers, uh, fill my coffers with uh, uh, turkey sandwiches. I don't know. No, but I, I, I like that. I like that it all worked out. I, I liked. Uh, I'm happy. I, I like uh, that. I now have to go to WrestleMania. Great. <laughs> Yay! Uh, I don't have to sit by myself no. in the Superdome. All by yourself with 70,000 people. Um, <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, but no, great. Obviously, you picked Roman Reigns, and it came down to our, our two picks, by the way. It came down to Roman Reigns and Shinsuke Nakamura. And uh, again, Tom Breen, Shinsuke Nakamura. And then Jason Maxwell, uh, Roman Reigns. Uh, came down to those two and our two picks, and Tom Breen wins because Shinsuke Nakamura goes over, uh, not over the top. That was Roman going over the top. Uh, Nakamura wins the match. So congratulations to Tom Breen, the winner of the second annual Whole Ref and Show Royal Rumble contest. You join the Hall of Fame with last year's winner Ryan Pates, who is this year's loser. So take that, Ryan. Take it up with Tom Breen. <laughs> Tom Breen, you're the big winner of the whole Reffin Show second annual Royal Rumble contest. And you, my good man, will receive. A beautiful Royal Blue whole Reffin Show t-shirt with the unbelievable logo of the show every day on your iTunes which you listen to the podcast every day wonderful artwork by friend of the show Ben Blank and uh, awesome cartoon artwork that has been on the forefront of the whole reference show since episode 1 slapping on a t-shirt Tom Breen, it's yours it's from us, thank you for playing, thank you to everyone for playing, we can't wait to see Tom's adventures in indie wrestling up there in New England and uh, showing off that shirt and getting the gospel of the whole ref and show out there in front of everybody. He is contractually obligated because he won the the, uh, <laughs> the, the, the uh, contest here. He must wear that shirt in every picture that involves wrestling. Uh, he must 
He must uh, solicit our show to every wrestler he meets uh, and every <laughs> fan he meets. So uh, it's it's you win, but really you lose at the same time because that's a lot of work you have to do. But oh well, that's for Tom Breen to figure out. Uh, so again, we do appreciate everyone who was involved in the contest. Really, really appreciate it. Always good to hear from you guys in general, you dear listeners, you. And uh, we'll see you next year. But we're not through with this show yet. And like I say, they really kick it up a notch for these next two matches. And, and by kick it up a notch, I mean uh, they go to sleep. The audience does. Because no one reacts to anything that happens the next two matches. Crowd is dead. Crowd is dead. Crowd is dead. Starting with, uh, what you, you, just, you just went to a buffet and now it's like, hey guys, you want some cold cut sandwiches? And it's like, no, we just ate a lot. Uh, anyway, so the first match is the Raw Tag Team Titles match. Uh, four people you just saw involved in the Rumble. Uh, Seth Rollins, who, by the way, was eliminated by Roman Reigns. Uh, and a lot of people kind of thought like, oh, are we seeing the Shield fall apart? And we say no, no, because the Shield never really got back together, technically. But uh, he's partnered with Jason Jordan. Actually, Jason Jordan, his partner here, was not involved in the Rumble. I take that back. But, uh, however, Sheamus and Cesaro, the bar, Sheamus and Cesaro, uh, you see them. And uh, they're here for those Raw Tag Team belts. And we said they would get them off the the horrible cluster fuck that is the team of Seth Rollins and Jason Jordan. I am going to say this. If what we get here is... Uh a two-month program out of Seth Rollins and Jason Jordan. If we get to see uh, a WrestleMania match between these two, I'm okay with that. I would like to see that match, actually. And I think it, 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 I think it works. It gives Seth Rollins something to do that's interesting, but, but it keeps him out of the main event. And it's certainly a big step up for Jason Jordan. And I like Jason Jordan. I think he has a very, very bright future. And I think this is the natural way to go with this, where nobody's taking a step back. And because they certainly don't need to keep going as a team. They do not need to keep going as a tag team. You know, I, as much as I hate to see tag teams get broken up in WWE, this is one that needs to be broken up with a quickness because it didn't need to exist in the first place. Right. It only existed out of convenience because Rollins needed a partner to help defend the, the championship belts. Now that the belts aren't on them anymore, there's no reason to, to keep the band together, so to speak. And if I could just see Seth Rollins never touch Cesaro or Sheamus ever again in a ring, I'd be happy because I'm sick of this match. And, and and the thing is, they've had really good matches, but I'm just so tired of it. I, I don't want to watch it anymore. Um, so, yeah, then that's kind of how this match goes. Uh, oddly enough, Jason Jordan kind of sells an injury, if you can believe that. Uh, for most of the match, he's on the outside. I think the physicians come in and check him out to make sure he's okay. Uh, eventually, he does get into the ring after Rollins getting the crap kicked out of him by Sheamus and Cesaro. Um, but he decides that he's not hes not quite 100%, so he tags back Seth Rollins, who's exhausted instantly, and uh, Seth Rollins, what are you doing, man? Nah. That great Seth Rollins voice. Yeah, and Jordan sitting, sitting on the ring steps, acting dazed, and like I said, I think that is, is, is leading to the split up here and, and a feud between them, and I, I honestly hope it lasts until Mania. I think it's a good Mania match. If I'm booking WrestleMania, Seth Rollins versus Jason Jordan 
in in a babyface Rollins because they want babyface Rollins for some reason, even though he's way better as a heel. Uh, a babyface Rollins versus you know a baby shit Jason Jordan, you know, <laughs> kind of that you know uh, that whiny heel. And then if it can totally involve Kurt Angle, and we get to see some twist on that, uh, I, I'm for it. So anyway, Sheamus and Cesaro win because with Rollins hurt and tagged back in, he is pinned easily by the bar. You know they they don't just set the bar they are the bar oh okay interesting so they're again raw tag team champions sheamus and cesaro the bar good for them and uh, fingers crossed on a rollins jordan feud i'm gonna say it again <laughs> we uh we called it though we said that the bar would take the titles off of rollins and jordan because that's that's a train that's just going nowhere um, and that's what happened. That takes us to our universal title match. Surprisingly, not the main event. Uh, they saved that that uh, that for the ladies, which is pretty cool. And the universal title match, of course, is between the defending reigning champion Brock Lesnar taking on Braun Strowman and taking on Kane as well. Triple threat match. Now the thing is, everyone said from day one this would just basically be you know Kane getting pinned by Brock Lesnar which is why he's in the match. And you know what? They were right, because that's exactly what happened. <laughs> like I said at the beginning of this segment, this was so telegraphed, it didn't even need to happen. Yeah. You know, they, they let Brock Lesnar get away with not wrestling most of the time. They honestly should have just not even had a title match here. Yeah, I my notes are like, typical battle. Uh, I mean, it, it's the, the, the big power moves and the, the mayhem on the outside and throwing tables and stuff, and then Lester hits the F5 and pins Kane, and that's it. I mean, that's it. Well, the reason that this is a shame is because as much grief as I give Brock Lesnar, it I like him. I still like him. I still think he's a force to be reckoned with. I think he puts butts in seats. I think he's worth the contract. I would not have the universal title on him. He'd be a special attraction like he is. He doesn't need the belt at all. If he's going to appear that infrequently, he really doesn't need the belt. And him being in this match does him a disservice because he just gets to be a part of something that's too predictable. So people that would otherwise be big fans of him now find themselves rolling their eyes. Right. And that's not fair. And Kane is certainly not fair to Kane because he's in there, telegraphed, choreographed. Everybody knows he's there to take the fall. He's a fall guy. And he needs to be respected far more than that, especially at this stage in his career. And Braun Strowman, totally on the rise, is an afterthought in this match. It doesn't matter how many buildings he destroys, like, uh, <laughs> or how many cars he throws into the sun. Like, I, I, I don't. I want him to win a wrestling match, right? Because that's what he is. You know, and and he can beat up twenty armies with one punch on Raw, but then put him in a match that matters, and it's like he forgets how to fight. And I don't like that. So this match needs to not happen. The Universal Belt needs to not be on Brock. We need to give Kane some GD respect, and Braun Strowman needs to be on a direct, uninterrupted path to the top, where he's not playing you know, 
second fiddle to Brock Lesnar. I agree with everything you just said. And uh, it's it's you know it's apparent that a lot of the WWE universe and specifically this crowd in Philadelphia uh, feels that same way because this match ends with the pin, Lesnar retains, and there's no cheer, there's no nothing, like like <laughs> no one does anything, and it's 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 pretty uh, it's pretty sad to watch actually because you have these three monsters and they spent all this time building up this match and at the end of the day no one gave a shit so. Anyway, Lesnar retains. He's still your universal champion. He's going to hold it basically until WrestleMania, the, the one-year mark where he won it from Goldberg, WrestleMania 33. Um, so, yeah, it is what it is. But I wonder, who who will stop this man? Who will stop it? I mean, probably Strowman, right? I don't know. I don't know anymore. Whatever. I, I want Strowman as opposed to Roman, that's right. for sure. Well, that takes us into the main event. The main event, which is the Women's Royal Rumble match. The first ever Women's Royal Rumble. Congratulations to all the ladies who are involved in this match. And uh, it's 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 a pretty good bunch, I gotta say. It's a pretty cool collection of, of uh, talent. I Yeah, I, I said that this would be as close as we would ever get to, like, those first three or four Royal Rumbles from the late 80s and early 90s, where they... It was like, these are by far the top people in the company, the top people in the industry, and they're all bright and colorful and new and shiny, and they're everybody's favorite pets, everybody's favorite toy. It's who you want to pick first for your kickball team. Right. You know, we don't get that. in the. We really don't get that in the modern men's Rumble match. I mean, it doesn't matter if I am a fan of you or not. The fact that uh, Heath Slater and Aiden English are even in the Royal Rumble, it's like, no, 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 no. Where's 1990 Hacksaw Jim Duggan? You know, where's, you know, where's Hercules Hernandez? Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I want to see that. I don't want to see Apollo Crews. No, I understand. You know? But the women's Rumble match is that because it's the first ever, and we knew not only are we going to get Every single woman on the roster, with the exclusion of only the two champions, but we also and and sadly Alicia Fox, who was injured prior to the Rumble and unable to be in the Women's Rumble. That's that's horrible. So apologies, Alicia Fox. Yeah, but and then we knew because there are only there are only X amount of women. There's certainly not thirty on the main roster. We knew we were about to get a ton of surprises. So not only do we have all of the top women in the company today, we got all the top women of yesterday. Yeah. I, and that's what made this match crazy. I mean, it it would have been like if the, you know, 15 of the, the men had been like Roman Reigns, John Cena, Shinsuke Nakamura, Finn Balor, Rusev, Jinder Mahal, and then also Steve Austin and The Rock and Hulk Hogan. <laughs> yeah, and, and this is the first time you ever actually are able to get that from the women wrestlers. It's the first time where the women wrestlers, you know, of yesteryear can even come back to wrestle in a wrestling capacity. Um, so, so that that has a very uh, that has that has a specialness to it, which is very cool. Um, and that's what I mean is like I think that this match, this women's Royal Rumble match will be extra special for at least two, three, four years. But I I don't know if it could ever top this one. This 
This was amazing. It's going to be hard to top it. It made up for the 25th anniversary uh, women's involvement. Well, all the, 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 you know, where Marlena or Terry Runnels and uh, Trish Stratus and all of them kind of come out. They're kind of like herded out like cattle. All right, ladies, <laughs> come on out. All right, wave, show off the bodies, turn around. All right, good. Back into the back again is what it seemed like to me. Where in this case, it's like, it's not about like, oh my God, like so-and-so is getting older, which, which, which typically happens with all older wrestlers, let's face it. Um, but they get to actually come out and you obviously you see them, so you get that impression, but also can they still move in a wrestling ring? And as far as I can tell, all these women certainly could. Well, as far as I can tell, uh, Michelle McCool uh, <laughs> probably had uh, a more successful night than anyone. <laughs> right. uh, certainly more successful than anyone who didn't win. Right. Uh, I, at one point, I thought, well, okay, Michelle McCool, uh, I guess she's coming back to, the, to a full-time uh, career because they are pushing the hell out of her in this match. Yeah, a lot of McCools uh, in parentheses for all the eliminations here. No reason to delay it any further. Let's go ahead and talk about who exactly all 30 of these female competitors are in the first ever Women's Royal Rumble match. Number one, Sasha Banks, the boss. And uh, no better spot for her. She is the quintessential underdog, and so excellent slot for her to be in here. Number two, Becky Lynch. Love Becky Lynch, and she's there with number two. And these two representatives of the four horsewomen of the WWE, of both Raw and SmackDown, and of this women's evolution, Divas Revolution, I think Sasha and Becky starting off brilliant. Yeah, it was actually a really good call. Number three, we have Sarah Logan representing the Riot Squad. Number four, Mandy Rose of Absolution. Number five, the first big surprise of the evening, Lita. Boy, by not showing up at Raw 25, we thought Lita might be DOA. But here she is, and uh, she looked like a million bucks, too. Number six, Kyrie Sane. Number seven, Tamina. Number eight, Titus Worldwide's own Dana Brooke. Number nine, Tori Wilson. Never looked better in her life. Also, she's 11 feet tall. I thought she was going to dwarf all the other women in this match. <laughs> Number 10, Sonya Deville representing Absolution. Uh, I still don't understand why they're called that. Number 11, Liv Morgan of the Riot Squad. Number 12, Molly Holly. And I believe I said we would definitely not see Molly Holly. And here she is. <laughs> I love to be wrong. Number 13, Lana. Number 14, Michelle McCool. Watch out. She will eliminate you. <laughs> Number 15, the leader of the Riot Squad, Ruby Riot herself. Talk about Rocket being strapped on your back. I mean, Ruby is just, she's tearing through uh, all of space and time with this uh, meteoric rise to fame. Number 16, excuse me, Vicky Guerrero is going to come out and uh, be obnoxious. Number 17, <laughs> Miss Money in the Bank, Carmella. Number 18, Natalia Neidhart. Number 19, the girl so nice they named her twice, Kelly Kelly. 
number 20, Naomi. Number 21, Miss Jacqueline. She uh, she can probably win the men's Rumble match, let me just say that. Number 22, Nia Jax. 23, Ember Moon. Wow, what a cool surprise that was. Ember Moon, your NXT Women's Champion. 24, Beth Phoenix. As the women from yesteryear keep on coming one after another, we had Vicky and then Kelly and then Jacqueline and now Beth Phoenix, the Glamazon. Number 25, the Empress of Tomorrow, Asuka. Number 26, Mickey James. Or if someone, if, if they didn't know that Mickey James was still wrestling, might think that was another surprise. Like, oh, look at this. Look at this person. This blast from the past. But no, it's just Mickey James. Right. Meanwhile, the next two, somebody might think, well, of course, they wrestle all the time. But these were actually surprises. Yeah. Back to back, 27, Nikki Bella and 28, Brie Bella. The Bella Twins, back to back action, twin action. They're here nearing the end of the Royal Rumble. Very, very cool to see them and extra special double cool to see Brie Bella here. Number 29, she's a hugger, Bailey. And at number 30, please prepare yourselves to be stratified as Trish Stratus, arguably the most celebrated women's wrestler ever up to this point. And I, will, I, I firmly believe Charlotte Flair will go down in history as the greatest women's wrestler of all time. Um, WWE would certainly have you believe that at this juncture, it is easily Trish Stratus, and I don't know, who am I to argue with it? Uh, I only am one half of a podcast that does nothing but argue wrestling points every week. So, personally... We have passionate discussions. We don't argue. uh, Personally, I I don't believe Trish Stratus is all that she uh, is celebrated for being, but she was a large contributor and therefore, she's going to come out and be celebrated. Perry, those 30 women, again, holy crap. Yeah, um, really happy with the way this, this match went down. The only thing that was kind of like, oh, yeah, that's different, is uh, obviously a uh, Royal Rumble match. Uh, I'll say it one more time just for fun. Uh, you throw your opponent over the top rope to get, you know, and they, their feet at the ground, they get eliminated, they're out of the match. Little harder for women who aren't as tall as men to get over that top rope, so it made for a, a quite a few awkward like, 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 oh, get this person over the rope, or like, and I push you out, and they have to really try to get themselves out. To, so some of that was kind of like, oh man, like I, I don't know what you do in that situation. I, but that was kind of my only gripe with the match. Really, was like it's a little harder for. Mandy Rose to throw herself over the top rope, which, by the way, she is the first person ever eliminated in a women's Rumble match. But, I mean, basically, like you already talked about, there's, I mean, this, just like any Royal Rumble match before it, any men's Royal Rumble match before it, tons of cool surprises, uh, you know, people showing up. Obviously, we, we read the names off, but as you're actually seeing them enter the Rumble, it's like, oh, cool, oh, cool, oh, cool, you know, constantly over and over again. You got the cool interactions between people who are feuding or feuded in the past. You get the really cool interaction between Mickey James and Trish Stratus. And I was like, oh, nice. They kind of, they, they reminded you of that old feud, which I thought was a really nice touch. That was an excellent moment. 
It really was. Um, and uh, like I said, unlike the uh, the men's match, which didn't really have the super heavyweights that typically get involved, where it's like, we need six of you to get this person over. They're so large. You know, we, we can't get Earthquake out alone or Yokozuna out alone. Um, <laughs> you know, Tamina was the heavy one of the heavyweights. So was Nia Jax. Eventually, it took like several people, basically everyone who was in the match, to throw Nia Jax out, which I'm surprised that ended that way. Because you, you would think Nia Jax maybe wouldn't want that kind of finish for herself. You know what I mean? Yeah, but there's no denying what you are. And she, in this match, she's the monster. She is the super heavyweight. And that's what happens if you are a wrestler and you are a super heavyweight and you are in any type of battle royal. That That's the attraction. That's what people pay money for. Is they want to see her squash people and then they want to see the army of little people, you know, try to get, you know... Try and try and expel Gulliver from Lilliput, you know. Right, little people slash normal sized people. <laughs> <laughs> I think we forget that wrestlers are typically huge, um, so there's that. Um, Naomi's in there for quite a while. Uh, Naomi basically pulls a Kofi uh, when she gets thrown out, but she doesn't quite get eliminated because she holds on to kind of whatever's around, and she she rides a she rides a chair. I think Maria Menudo, is that her name? She was in um, to get back into the ring again, which that would have been cool had Kofi not done that same exact thing before. It needed to be something else entirely. And what needed to happen was, because you have Charlotte Flair and you have Alexa Bliss that are both, they're both ringside sitting in chairs watching the women's match happen, what needed to happen was Naomi come by in the chair and Alexa Bliss kick out the chair from underneath her and eliminate her. That should have happened instead of Naomi getting back in and immediately getting thrown out again. You could have just had Alexa Bliss, who's a super fucking bitch, and a super heel just kick out the chair from underneath. That would have been great. Oh, I completely agree. And I actually thought that's what was going to happen. Oh, nice. Nice. That as she got close to Alexa, I thought, oh, oh, oh. You know, because Alexa was on, man. If you looked at, like, listen to her promos on that night. And watched her body language at ringside, and then especially when she gets in the ring after the the conclusion of this match, man, Alexa Bliss for not wrestling on this night, she was on. She she almost stole the show from the other thirty plus women that were on this show. No, that would be I someone mean, else who comes out later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. That's I know she true. stole the show, but she stole the thunder. Um, so yeah, like you said, Sasha Banks was number one, and she makes it all the way to the end. All the way to the end. Uh, but in the end, there can be only one, Darren. And that person is the 25th entrant, the Empress of Tomorrow, Asuka, who wins the first ever Women's Royal Rumble. And we said that would happen. We said it would happen. Thanks. We called it. I, I, I am impressed. I, I am impressed with... Both of us, and of course, doubly impressed with you. It's hard to pick a Royal Rumble winner. I don't care how predictable it might seem like it is to truly pick a needle out of a haystack, uh, one out of 30. That's a big deal. And, uh, you know, you picked both Rumbles correctly. I picked the women's correctly, and I picked the next, you know, the, the, the runner up. So, like, Man, we're good. We had to make up for last year. We both said Randy Orton will definitely not win the Rumble, and he won the Rumble. <laughs> so it's like, oh shit, we got to do really good this year. 
Um, so they're good for us, but uh, as far as head-to-head goes... Head-to-head. I guess that means we tied, right? Yeah? We tied. Both of us finishing 5-1 and one for the evening. Hey, I'll take it. I'll take that's it. A pretty, that's a pretty good score. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, and, of course, as soon as the Rumble's over, Oscar gets to pick which champ to challenge at WrestleMania. Both Charlotte Flair and Alexa Bliss enter the ring, and Stephanie McMahon comes out. Stephanie McMahon, we didn't mention, by the way, did commentary throughout the Rumble. And I thought, she didn't do that great. <laughs> she really wasn't a great commentator. <laughs> uh, okay, I agree. She wasn't that great because she isn't a commentator. I was just relieved that she wasn't that bad. Oh, she wow. wasn't like, and, and and by that bad, I mean there was no. She was not adept at it. There was no skill there. I just mean by not that bad. I I never felt. I never rolled my eyes like, oh my god, please stop! You're 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 ruining it. You're you're overselling it, which was my biggest fear. The moment she got out there, I thought she is about to become a hashtag machine. Right. She is, you know. Well, to me, uh, the problem with Stephanie McMahon nowadays is that Stephanie McMahon is now herself a character. So when she's not the the spoiled, rotten daddy's girl who gets her way, and she's just like, you know what? That is a good competitor. She is a fine competitor. She's a fine competitor. You know, it's like she was fine. <laughs> it's kind of like, like no, I, I want, I want bitchy Stephanie. She's so good at that. Like so, when I see her just going like, well, she is a competitor in the match. Winner of the match will go on to the WrestleMania, and she will fight the champion. Like I, I hate that. You know, <laughs> so Stephanie couldn't be Stephanie. She had to be like business Stephanie, and that's boring compared to her flip side, which is just. Just out of her mind, spoiled, rich girl Stephanie. Um, control freak Stephanie. Um, so anyway, th- th- there's that. So I-, I won't harp on that too much. But I don't like that Asuka's thunder is immediately stolen by the person who comes out. That's right. Ronda Rousey makes her debut in WWE. Rowdy Ronda Rousey. Rowdy Ronda Rousey uh, makes her debut, comes out to the ring, and points at the WrestleMania sign. And then she goes to shake Asuka's hand. Asuka slaps it away, which I was like, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then uh, it's nothing's resolved. Nothing is resolved. Ronda points again at WrestleMania sign, and she slowly leaves. So it's like, wait, did Ronda challenge somebody? Wait, did Asuka get to choose who she was fighting at WrestleMania? What's going on? I don't understand. But also, that sucks because it's it's like, oh, Ronda just shows up and she gets to go to WrestleMania. Asuka just had to beat 29 women to do that. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, don't ever let Vince McMahon tell you that he does not uh, appreciate the value uh, of UFC, of the UFC brand. Because... At this point, that's the only reason Brock Lesnar's still there. Brock Lesnar is not riding the high of his WWE career before UFC. Brock Lesnar is still riding the high of his UFC days. And Ronda Rousey, every move that she's made so far and every move she will make will be based entirely on her UFC notoriety. Right. And... 
And I don't know. I like it. I I, uh, I sort of enjoyed the ambiguous ending. To me, I to me that was a throwback. The sort of ambiguous ending. Sometimes I get really sick of how WWE. You know, it's paint by numbers. And it's Sometimes. Like, you know, and they, well, right, all the time. I understand. It's paint by numbers, and they, and they hold your hand through everything. And it's like a Hootie and the Blowfish song. And uh, I I just really don't dig that. And I, and I dig some sort of like, what? Well, I'm confused. And that's how I felt here at the end. And so that was okay. Now, Ronda needed to do something other than strike literally the exact same pose like five times. <laughs> I noticed that too. <laughs> but, but she looked like a million dollars. People lost their minds. They popped, which means they know who she is and they care. It was very cool to see her in her own version of the Rowdy Roddy Piper stuff. Apparently that is Roddy Piper's leather jacket that she was wearing given to her by his son, Colton. And uh, not only is that Piper's jacket, um, which was, you know, bequeathed now to Ronda Rousey, but that jacket actually originally belonged to Adrian Adonis, uh, who was a very close friend of Roddy Piper's, and it became Roddy Piper's jacket after Adonis's untimely death. So... It's a really nice legacy there if you if you you know uh, know the backstory of that leather jacket and and that's cool. The fact that she's already got a hot rod style Ronda Rousey T-shirt and please please fingers crossed she keeps that entrance music because nothing could be more distinctive than that. Right. It's always nice when you get to use a quote unquote real song. As your entrance, like a CM Punk, you know, Hollywood Hogan. And that though it's always a nice leg up when you use like a legit and it's not what Jim Johnson or whoever uh, making the music. Who's no longer right. with the company, by the way. <laughs> right. And I love Jim Johnson's compositions. Oh no, he's, he's, he brought us some good times for sure. Oh, for sure, man. Like I love, love WWE entrance music, especially Jim Johnson's. But when someone has that real song you know i and see i'm glad you mentioned cm punk first because that is the prime example every time you got that opening riff from cult of personality i was excited every single time i got excited and i feel like it'll be that same way with ronda rousey uh so hopefully they don't pull an eric bischoff and have them you know come out to back in black by acdc in his debut and then never again and then, but they come out the I'm back <laughs> in dark gray. Yeah, I, I like when they do like ripoff versions, and I, I like what we talked about before. Uh, we 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 talked about like an old WCW uh, pay per view, and uh, DDP came out to music that was basically a knockoff of Smells Like Teen Spirit. But even then, WWE Network redid that, so it was a knockoff of a knockoff, which I thought was hilarious when you pointed that out. Um, so that's it. That's it for a big weekend in Philadelphia. Uh, NXT TakeOver Philadelphia. Royal Rumble went down. I hope everyone enjoyed the shows. I enjoyed, uh, the most part, uh, the, 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 the stuff that was most enjoyable. Uh, the Rumble's TakeOver I thought was great. Uh, did you enjoy it? 
let us know. How can you let us know? There's a lot of ways. You can uh, tweet to us at Refn Show Podcast. That's R-E-F-N-S-H-O-W-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Find us on Facebook, like, and share. Send us a Gmail at the whole Refn Show at gmail.com. T-H-E-W-H-O-L-E. R-E-F-N-S-H-O-W at gmail.com. Or... Or you can find us on Instagram. Instagram is where we talk to a lot of you about the Royal Rumble contest. See how great a method of communication Instagram can really be. Not only are we looking at pretty pictures, we're saying pretty words. We're scratching each other's backs. We're making friends. We're entering contests. We're winning contests, Tom Breen. (laughs) Yes. Please. Continue to check us out on Instagram. We'll keep it busy. You keep tuned in. And uh, we like to look at your pictures, too. Yeah, in a non-creepy stalker way. Um, yeah, once again, I want to echo that. And uh, <laughs> I want to say thank you to all those who uh, were involved in the Royal Rumble contest. Uh, it's a very special thing that we do. It's always a lot of fun. And it kind of makes the Rumbles that much more interesting. So we thank you again. Of course, we want to thank all of our dear listeners because we love you all. Yes, even you, the one who doubted yourself just now. You know who you are, potentially. And uh, we thank you for joining us. We hope you join us next week on yet another exciting edition of the only wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle. The whole ref and show. My name is Perry Smith. And my name is Darren Beasley. And we're going to see you next week, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, we are. Bye-bye. Smoke them if you got them. about Rockstar Spud there, Darren? Well, uh, the thing about it is, he is a, uh, a musical potato. Right? <laughs> <laughs>